We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I am delighted to be joining you today, this this fine day, post-State of the Union. Um, I am in New York. I'm joined by Mike yeah. Welch, Michael Moynihan. Yeah. Um, and if, at some point we'll talk about the State of the Union. Uh, it, it, considering you guys probably should have watched and have, should have some opinions on it. But we do have a guest today. Yeah. And I want to get to him quickly because yeah, this is the most. I this. think this is the most important story in America. Yeah, I, th- I think it that's true. Be. It might be um, our friend, journalist <laughs> Jamie Kerchick, who I'm I'm confident you've been on the podcast at some point before. Yeah, with like a couple yeah. times, couple times. times. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Good. He um, remembers it Jamaicans really well. like to erase gay people from their memory. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a challenge. I did I didn't know he was gay, um, and when yeah. I discovered it, we had to reassess our relationship. Yeah. Um, but Jamie, I'm delighted. Episode. <laughs> I'm delighted you joined us. Um, the author of a, of a very, very fine book, which we'll talk about a little bit as well, Secret City. Um, but before we talk about that, I do want to talk about this very interesting, intriguing piece that you wrote about Army Hammer for Airmail is the yes. publication. Um, so, Jamie, thank you for joining us today. Want to get right into it uh, and talk a little bit about how the hell this soul thing came together. But maybe you could say a word or two about Airmail, what is this publication for people who are unfamiliar? Airmail was founded, I believe, about three or four years ago by Graydon Carter, the former editor of Vanity Fair, and Alessandra Stanley, a longtime writer for the New York Times. And it is, uh, how to describe it? It's uh, basically a great publication covering everything from culture, Hollywood, um, the politics, the world. I mean, everything you would expect from a man like Graydon Carter, right? I mean, he's a very debonair, mm. uh, renowned uh, journalist. Canadian. And yeah. uh, I highly recommend you guys, you, your listeners subscribe. Yeah, it's good. I mean, the best way it, to describe uh, it, let, it let me say is that it, it's it, Vanity it, Fair from five, ten well, years ago. Stripped down. Yeah. It advertises itself as the as the weekend edition of your favorite international newspaper. So it comes out <laughs> by newsletter on, on Saturday mornings, and it's really a great thing to kind of kick back and read over the course of the weekend. And it really you, is. And you managed to score them quite the exclusive. Um, I think most listeners will remember that, uh, what was it, about a year ago that Army Hammer found two himself years ago. in a bit? Two years ago yeah. now. So he found himself in a bit of uh, hot water, I think is the, the nicest possible way of saying it. Um, there were all manner of dark conspiracies swirling around him, allegations of sexual misconduct, of of all sorts of bizarre perversion, like mm. cannibalism, yeah, yeah, sex cannibalism. Yeah. Um, and Army quickly went from having one anonymous person to uh, a, a deluge of females coming out of the woodwork and saying, yeah, something weird happened with Army and me, um, all the way to the point where the LAPD began investigating whether or not there was some sort of criminal misconduct. And we read a number of stories about this. Um, Army had to pull out of a number of films. He was in the midst of a divorce. Um, and then the story went dark for a while. You didn't hear anything about this. As did he. Um, and he, as did he. He disappeared yeah. um, until you wrote this piece. Um, how the hell did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> how did you get in touch with if Army? If that was the bingo card, like a Army Hammer is going to reemerge and it's going to be Jamie Kirchick that does it, I would be like, wait, <laughs> is he in Ukraine? So, so, so yeah, how did this happen? 
Well, uh, I was approached by an intermediary um, who doesn't want to be known, I think, for obvious reasons. If you look at what happened to Army Hammer, who's basically been blacklisted from Hollywood, he lost uh, every film he was slated to be in, some pretty big films, television shows. He was set to star alongside Sean Penn and Julia Roberts and Gaslit, the miniseries about mm -hmm. Watergate. He was set to play Al Ruddy in The Offer, that great uh, miniseries about the making of the uh, of the Godfather. He had a Broadway show on. Um, and then his main accuser, once these allegations surfaced, you know, she would attack anyone who was reported to be a friend of his, to be a colleague of his. When it was reported that Robert Downey Jr. had paid for his rehab, um, she posted on Instagram that she hoped that someone did to Robert Downey Jr.'s daughters what Army did to her. She posted a similar threat, and to, she accused him of rape. To be clear, that she, so she's this is the woman. Saying, I, this is yeah. yeah. This is the woman, Efrosina Angelova, who we're naming. Um, she was in most media accounts. She was only referred to as Effie because the, the name of her um, anonymous Instagram account was House of Effie. Yeah, so she would go after anyone, including anon you know, relatively anonymous people, just like friends of Army Hammers. Uh, she would accuse them of being complicit in his depraved crimes and acts. So you can understand why someone uh, who yeah. who would not want to be publicly associated with this story. And I was approached, and you know, I didn't really ask why me. I assume it had something to do with the fact that the entirety of the entertainment media had basically turned against him, and they had run all these allegations um, without really any skepticism. Um, so you know, going to one of those publications might not have seemed like the best idea. Um, and, you know, I, as you mentioned, I wrote this book, Secret City, uh, The Hidden History of Gay Washington, which is all about the use of sexual secrets as political weapons and whatnot. So it is, yeah. you know, while I while I don't cover show business or Hollywood, um, the issue of sort of sex in politics and kind of sex in public life and how we talk about it is, is something that's of interest to me. And I also think just airmail was um, a great outlet for it, you know, given mm -hmm. the kind of pedigree of uh, Graydon Carter um, and, and it's, it's, it's coverage of the entertainment industry. I think that was probably the reason why they approached me. Jamie, were you the first person to name this woman? Had she not? Been no, no, before? no. She had been named in one or two, I think Us Weekly had named her, okay. um, last fall. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the decision to name her was really not a controversial one for us. I mean, also the fact that, as you mentioned, Camille, there have been no criminal charges filed or civil charges. And she, and what, what interested me in this, and what made me a little curious uh, about the story, was that it was reported last fall that, she, that Gloria Allred, her lawyer, who mm. was not a woman known for being shy when it comes to taking on high-profile you know, sexual assault cases, Gloria Allred, had, Gloria Allred had dropped her as a client. And the reason, reportedly, for her doing so was that Angelova had not, or had refused to sign an affidavit attesting to, the, to these claims. So, I mean, here you have a woman who's using an Instagram account to basically, you know, launch a character assassination against someone on, on a daily basis, really a daily basis for, for over the past two years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while I can understand and appreciate the sort of journalistic uh, code or tradition of, you know, not naming a rape or, or an alleged rape victim in most cases, I think in this one, it just didn't make sense from a journalistic standpoint. It did not seem the right thing to do. Yeah, once someone has leveled really terrible allegations, Criminal allegations. Has, has gotten a lawyer and then refuses to actually swear to this, 
um, so that law enforcement can do something about it, who's opened an investigation, like, that starts to look very fishy. So when, when was that, Jamie? Was that like last fall when that happened? When Allred dropped her? When Allred dropped yeah, her. Yeah, that was yeah. last September, I think. It was right after a, doc- a very salacious and really trashy documentary called House of Hammer. It's a three-part documentary on Hulu. Uh, once that aired, uh, Angelova had refused to participate in it, which by the way, she's refused to talk to any journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously had to reach out to her with very detailed questions and she blocked me on Instagram. Um, she refused to participate in, the, in this documentary, but Gloria Allred did. Uh, and once that documentary came out, Angelova attacked Allred publicly. And that's when Allred, uh, or it was around that time that Allred dropped her. And presumably she's not signing an affidavit because that opens her up to perjury charges. Is that, well, I, mean, I, if would, she's, I mean, I can only assume, right? I mean, I well, if you do sign, too, yeah. Yeah, if, if you swear to something uh, under penalty yeah. of perjury and, it, yeah. and it's later proven that you were lying about it, then yes, you could face serious legal repercussions. So people know, I think, uh, because we've talked about it in the previous episode of this, I don't know if it was a paid one or not, but you should yeah. subscribe to hear it. But um, we spoke about it a bit, and I think a lot of people know the kind of rudiments of the story. Of this, you know, that he's uh, carving his name into people's uh, legs at an inch deep, which kind of struck me as a bit Very odd. strange. Um, that um, he might have even committed murder. That was my favorite bit, which was, um, which I'm sure we'll get to, was recycled by his uh, his um, wife. I guess they're not divorced yet. Um, so all of this stuff is out there. What in your reporting... Do you learn that is new that actually stops you in the tracks and says, well, well, hang on. There definitely is something because, you know, I know we, we hear this about women not wanting to come forward. And there's usually a bunch of reasons that are given why they don't want to open themselves up to public scrutiny. They don't want to, they, you know, it's too traumatic, et cetera. So we can, people can dispense with that pretty quickly. Um, I don't think they should, but they often do. So what is it that you saw that was like, oh, God, I think there's actually something more to this story and more to his side of the story. Well, you're right. I mean, in, in this case, the woman did come forward <laughs> very, very, very publicly, yet yeah. at the same time was refusing to cooperate in the legal investigation. So that was fishy. And that was public, by the way. I mean, that was reported that she, as I mentioned, that she had not signed an affidavit last fall. So you would think that a lot of these entertainment journalists would have started sneaking around back then. Um, I would say the the facts that I brought to bear uh, were a series of text messages that Effie sent to the estranged wife, Elizabeth Chambers, in which she told Chambers that she was pursuing Hammer, that she was chasing him, uh, that Hammer had told her how guilty he felt about cheating on his wife, that he, uh, he felt terrible about it, he had never done it before. Um, so, and this is obviously at odds. And then, by the way, there, there was no mention of rape or violence in any of these private conversations with the, with the estranged wife. Um, so that, that was one thing that uh, led me to think that, there was, that, that Hammer was telling the truth, or at least his side of the story needed to be told. There was also a psycho-legal evaluation that his estranged wife um, made him undergo in the early, 2000, early 2021, when the scandal was erupting, um, because she was claiming that he presented a danger to, the, to their two young children. And so uh, this was an 142-page report that I obtained, and he had to undergo a battery of psychological tests. They interviewed many people. Um, both members of the couple, both Chambers and Hammer, had to recommend people to be interviewed. Hammer suggested his family members, his friends. 
Chambers, among other people, recommended you know some of these women who had alleged that they had been harmed by Hammer. She also gave the evaluators a man named Daniel, whose last name we withheld, from Bogota, Colombia, who claimed that Hammer had sexually assaulted him, had cut him with paper and glass, and then drank his blood, and that he had stuffed a condom wrapper into him. That was one of the people whom Chambers recommended. Um, she also claimed that Hammer was being investigated by the FBI. She gave credence to, uh, you mentioned it yesterday, I think, Moynihan, yeah. the, uh, this ridiculous story about some human remains that had been discovered in the desert of California, and Hammer had been in the vicinity. He had been working at a hotel that his friend was rehabilitating in Joshua Tree, and some internet sleuths uh, connected, the they, they, connect, yes. they connected the dots. They connected the dots and alleged that maybe it was Army Hammer had eaten these people and left their bones in the in the desert. And his wife was giving credence to this. She mentioned to... it. She mentioned it to the psycholegal evaluation team. And this this report, which I quote extensively in the piece, you know, it clears him of all this. And it says that, you know, he might have had compulsive sexual behaviors, but it was not out of control, that he didn't present a threat to his children or, or anyone else. Um, and so that, to me, I thought was was really important evidence that, you know, those following the story had a right to know. A uh, quick, quick follow-up on the messages between uh, uh, Effie, uh, Efrosina. I, I grew up with a girl named Efrosina. Oh, I got a story yeah. about that. Yeah. Don't, um, don't touch And you. the wife, um, that happened after the incidents under dispute uh, took place or it happened before? What, what was that? Those text message exchanges happened long before the scandal became public. And it was also reported. So she was basically, they were colluding together. And, and, and this was also reported by CNN last fall that Chambers was using the email account of a friend of hers to pose as that friend and sort of leak damaging information about Hammer to various media outlets. And this was all. That's not, that's not a helpful spousal thing to do. No, particularly in one of these accounts, and I presume it was yours, Jamie, um, or maybe it was the one I read today in Elle magazine, which was a profile of his um, estranged wife. Because, I, again, I, I think they're, they're not, not divorced. divorced yet. She hasn't they're, signed the divorce not, papers. So. OK, so that um, his, I guess, still wife. And maybe it was in um, that account. But she does express that I'm very worried about what these charges and what this kind of public circus, what kind of effect it will have on my children in the long run. I hope it doesn't have any effect. It's an odd thing to say when you are actively leaking information about it to the press, which strikes me as a bit of uh, kind of odd behavior. Although she also has since said that he's like cleaned up his act somewhat, right? That was last fall. Yeah. She gave an interview to E where she really changed her tune. Uh, At least Mm. it it was, it was, yeah, where she said that he was doing well in recovery and she wished him the best. One other uh, thing that stuck with me reading uh, through your piece quickly because Megan Kelly wanted to talk about it and she told us that like 10 minutes before we had to go time. It's a long piece to read in 10 minutes. When, when we were on her show recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, uh, is that uh, there was a rape alleged, not just a, any old rape, but a four hour rape. Yeah. Oh, yes. I forgot Ooh. to mention this. Um, she alleged that she was raped on April 24th, 2017. In January of that year, Hammer uh, had a severe pectoral injury lifting weights. He had to get emergency surgery. He was in a sling for a month. This is all. This was all reported at the time, and there are many photos of him around the world. You know, doing various uh, activities. Right, he's a celebrity, so there's evidence of that. And he also shared with me 
medical records of physical therapy appointments that he underwent in the days right after and in the days before this alleged rape. He also uh, was not able to lift weights again until June of 2018, so over a year after the alleged rape. That was, that was the first time that he could go back to lifting weights, and we know that because he tweeted about it at the time. So I think it's uh, reason for skepticism to think that a man, even a, a large man, he's, he's tall, he's big. I think there's reason to doubt a claim that someone like that who did not have the full use of their dominant limb would be able to rape someone for over four hours, not only just rape her, but bang her head repeatedly against a wall, and, an interesting detail, uh, whip the bottom of her feet with a riding crop. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting. I mean, the reason we have a particular interest in a story like this is not only um, because there's like celebrities involved and it's salacious, but specifically because this is indicative of a pattern that we've seen with sort of journalists, mm-hmm. and the kind of motivated reasoning, their investigative faculties being hampered um, pretty profoundly by uh, conclusions that they're all that are already far gone. Like an expectation that, well, we know he's guilty. We certainly can't confound um, people um, and their sense that that he's guilty by presenting complicating evidence. I mean, those details that you just provided about the fact that he is recovering, these are things that could have been known at the time and yes. pieced together. Um, did you have you talked to any journalists um, uh, who covered this story at the time? I remember Vanity Fair and a number of other publications had these big, glossy pieces. Um, like one hour reads about the the kind of awfulness of Army Hammer and the, and the Hulu history of awfulness. Yeah. Three right. parts. <laughs> like, have you talked to any of the people who produce this stuff? Are they at all introspective about the errors that were made? Um, and do they plan to publish anything new or do some fresh investigation to atone essentially for getting critical aspects of this story wrong or at least missing things that they should have gotten right the first time around? I didn't, because for this piece, I just wanted to tell my own story, really. I wanted to report it out and kind of leave the mm-hmm. media, leave the media criticism um, for, for other folks. That's not to say I might not follow it up with something else. But, I mean, I agree with you entirely that this was a real failure of, of the journalists who are meant to cover these things. And maybe I had too high expectations, um, but it has been an interesting lesson. I mean, look, the reaction to the story from a lot of these outlets they led with the fact that Hammer also revealed to me that he'd been sexually abused as a child, which, mm-hmm. he, which he talked about. I mean, some of them are portraying this as an excuse for his behavior, which is not at all what it is. It's meant to explain where his interest in BDSM came from and that he had been out. You know, his introduction to sexuality had been in some very traumatic incidents where he, would, where he had no control as a boy and he wanted to have control. And that's where his interest in BDSM came from. They led with that, and they led with the fact that he had attempted suicide in the weeks, in the initial weeks that this scandal erupted. So they, you know, all this other stuff that I've been talking to you about, about the evidence that I produced, uh, the text messages, the medical documentation, the mm-hmm. psycholegal report. You go read these outlets. They, don't, they barely you, talk they about that it. stuff. They bypass yeah. that stuff. They just go for the most salacious details, like child, sexu- child sexual abuse and a suicide attempt, you know, the most sensational stuff. So they're really not... I don't think they're grappling with their failures here. The one thing that I would look for as a journalist, and if I was assigned the story or I was looking into the story while it was all breaking, while it was all happening, is that the entire thing is based on text messages. People keep this stuff. They have the WhatsApp messages, Instagram messages, whatever. And if you're 
alleging, if you don't allege the rape, then you're just talking about somebody's bizarre kink. Mm-hmm. And to use that a slightly silly phrase, kink shame them and say, this is kind of gross what he's into. And everyone's like, ew. And they'd be kind of odd these days for somebody to lo- lose jobs in Hollywood because they're interested in, in um, weird sexual things, right? So you have, you add that rape and let's pretend that, you know, you start off, I would start off thinking like, all right, that, that happened. Let's, let's see the evidence for it. If there's so much, you know, printed material, as it were, these messages, one would imagine there'd be something in that time frame of her expressing genuine horror at what happened. But what I got from your piece, and tell me if I'm wrong here, because I'm remembering this uh, from reading it, you know, four or five days ago, is that there, there were multiple texts that were long after that. And I think one, and I think you said 2020, or maybe it was 19 or 20, 2020. saying, this is what I want from you. This is what I want you to do to me. And it was all kind of rough stuff. And Army Hammer responds saying, I don't think this is a good yeah. idea. I don't want to be involved in this anymore. And which for me, if I was a journalist, say, well, that might be the triggering point right there. The, the rejection thing, well, which is pretty obvious. I mean, look, it happens to a lot of people. I've seen this happen to friends of mine yeah. when relationships have gone south. The accusations that are totally crazy begin to fly. So it's just, I mean, it's a possibility. Of anyway, I don't think it's the same same thing. But did you? was there anything presented ever that actually documented this as a forced act? No. And in fact, there were lots of text message exchanges where she was telling people in the days leading up to her coming public. And these were published by, you know, uh, people on Reddit and whatnot. They had taken screen captures of these private DMs that they had had with her, where she said it wasn't rape, it was consensual. And to my knowledge, she didn't produce any text messages between her or Hammer at any point over this, you know, four-year-long period in which she was corresponding with him, where rape was ever referred to or violence was ever referred to. It's not, you know, that, that, that 2020 message... I can't. Well, I mean, this is a, this is a family program, isn't it? But I mean, it's it's extremely really. <laughs> it's it's an extremely explicit message. And you know, there are some who would say that. Well, sometimes rape victims they identify with their abuser, and they can sometimes still express feelings for them and sexual desire for them. So it's not dispositive. But yes, you're right. I mean, nothing was produced in any of this long uh, series of of conversations that she had. Where, where violence had been referred to, it was, you know, they were they were corresponding about you know him wanting to leave her and her not wanting him to leave, and then him coming back to her and saying I want to continue. I mean, the 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 things that you would see in a very kind of tempestuous relationship, but there was never any mention of rape. You know, I I thought a lot about the the Amy Cooper situation, which I did some yeah. um some looking into uh, not too long ago, and. A lot. There were a lot of parallels, certainly with respect to the coverage. But I wondered about Army's own response to all of this, and whether or not he, at any point, thought he might be able to marshal a material defense while these allegations were starting to or come. file suit. I mean, initially he seemed to kind of push back a little bit, mm-hmm. but there wasn't ever uh, an extensive interview with anyone where he tried to explain what happened. Did you talk to him about? why he did that, about whether or not he consulted with any sort of crisis management, people who perhaps advised him not to say anything and kind of go to ground. Yeah. So his lawyers had advised him. Maybe he, so he issued a, an initial statement where he denied what he referred to as these bullshit claims. Mm-hmm. And that was the last that he was heard from. Um, his lawyers at that point overtook his publicity 
efforts because his publicist dropped him, his talent agency mm-hmm, dropped him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the publicist, sorry, the the lawyer um, actually released that very explicit text that I mentioned earlier. He put that out um, in wow. early 2021. And only the, da- only the Daily Mail would publish it. And the, da- mm-hmm. and the Daily Mail would only publish a censored version where they, mm-hmm. you know, blocked out the most explicit details. We decided that it was important for readers to see the entire thing. So, yeah, it was under advisement of his legal team that he did not uh, respond. And to be honest, I think uh, I'm not sure that they knew about this going into it. And I think he just felt, you know what, it's been almost two years that I've been living under this cloud. There's this mm-hmm. open-ended investigation that has doesn't seem to be going anywhere and I need to I mean I need to do something. And that was the justification that he gave me for d- deciding to finally speak. But no suggestion of a defamation suit. No, well, I asked him that and he said that look, this woman's destroyed my life over the past 2 years and I want to move on. Yeah. I mean, she's posting yeah. still. I mean, she posts every day and she blocked me so I can't see it, but people send me things. I mean, I think the latest was, you know, she has a list of 205 women who have been <laughs> who have been raped by Army Hammer. You know, it's kind of like McCarthyite tactics. It's sort of like a digital McCarthyism. Did, is uh, it really 205? No, no, I was just, that was, that's, that was, I was gonna say, for that's, you. That was for you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a weird, yeah, they, and they were all in Wheeling, West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> that's a, it's a deep cut. The Johnny uh, Depp, <laughs> Amber Heard thing comes to mind as well, though. I mean, because in that particular case, the, the fact that he won that case seems to have materially impacted public Correct. opinion about the situation. Yeah, that he pushed back really hard. And yeah. as much as Army wants to move on with his life, it does seem like that would be a legitimate path to take in order to try to air some of this scandalous material and reclaim his name, so to speak. I I wonder in the legal sense, though, that, you know, (laughs) yesterday I did a little thing about Sullivan uh, via the New York Times, which was not what I was there for, just to talk about media. But the interesting thing of talking to some of the people about this who are all very anti-Sullivan, I I very publicly said I'm not anti-Sullivan. I'm the only person on this panel who isn't. But one of the things that I thought it was interesting about it, and I had known this before, was that when Sullivan was decided, it was initially ruled about public officials. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1961 or something. And then it was broadened to public figures. Army Hammer would be a public figure. Yeah. And so people run up against all these roadblocks when trying to sue when they're public figures. I wonder what it is like when both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are both public figures, if that sort of neutralizes something, whereas this person is not, is a random woman on Instagram. And if that would have some effect on actually successfully prosecuting a defamation claim. But I do understand at this point when your life has been utterly destroyed and a court case is not because Johnny Depp stopped it in, in motion, right? Mm-hmm. It was actually in the process. I, it, it, at this point you can't turn back time. Mm-hmm. And one, I mean, does Jamie, does hammer think in any way that there is a path back to his former life? I mean, I know that there was all this very nasty and I, I found it very nasty, um, reporting, uh, like sniggering reporting about him working, uh, or trying to work in the Cayman Islands, uh, selling timeshares. Yep. You know, what a, what a, what a pathetic piece of trash. This is, we've destroyed him. Now we're going to make fun of him for trying to earn a living when he doesn't really have to because he's a member of the Hammer family. It's a lot of money there. Sure. But, uh, so, I mean, it was admirable in that sense. But does he have any sense that he can get back to acting? I think he would like to, but, He's sort of made peace with where he is now. You know, he's been in rehab for over two years, and it's really kind of given him a new perspective on life yeah. and what's important. 
Um, he is now working as a sober companion, meaning he's moving in with uh, a recovering addict just out of rehab and helping that person get their life together, you know, cooking for them and making sure they attend recovery meetings and whatnot. So, you know, would he welcome a return to, to acting? I'm sure he would, but I think he's also come to the realization that that might not happen. We need more uh, John Waters's in the yeah, world. You remember like in the, yeah. uh, in the eighties, John Waters, we just always had like Patty Hearst acting in his movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And to have movies of like, you know, um, uh, divine eating, uh, sandwiches that were rather gross if you want to look that up. But on the sexual end of this, I mean, Jimmy, you actually, it's the interesting part of this that you quote, um, a Hollywood producer, right? Yeah. Howard Rosenman who produced, Howard, yes, produced yes. Call Me By Your Name and many other fine films who stands by him yes right? yes and so like quite admirably so and like so, yeah, you know yeah. yeah and also luca guadagnino who directed call me by your name did a podcast interview a couple months ago where he was asked about hammer and and said i would like i would love to cast him again if i find the right role for him but aside from those two figures and you know no one else has come out we'll see i mean i look i've i've received a number of private communications from i'm from, sure some people in Hollywood, uh, there's an, a very well-known actor who emailed me. Um, other, other people have emailed me saying, you know, uh, this, is, this was a great story, and they, they hope that he makes a comeback. But again, they're not, nice saying, they're, not, they're, they're, they're not saying it they're publicly. They're not doing it publicly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, uh, the same thing happened when I published the Amy Cooper thing. You get all of this private correspondence from sure. people who are like, oh, this is great. This is just uh, incredible journalism. This is an important story that needs to be told. Well, did you share it, like, online or anything? Yeah. Have you endorsed it publicly? Do you plan to maybe talk about this? At least even suggest, wow, this is really interesting sure. and revealing. Yeah. I, am, I am shocked that the, that the journalist who covered this story didn't ask better questions. None of that happens. But it's not even too different from what we get and we've been getting, particularly we got uh, all three of us and the fifth column in general in like general email accounts during the 2020 stuff, sure. so-called racial reckoning, when people are like, man, this is stuff's happening at work and I don't. Like, I want to be brave and call bullshit, quoting a line that Camille said one day in an episode, uh, but I'm really scared to. And that's on a micro level. There's no sort of global uh, media eye on you that's going to tear you to shreds. But if, if you take away that rape accusation, Jamie, I mean, it's essentially people just saying you have a, a gross sexual fetish, right? Yeah. And there are the two other women, Courtney Vusikovich and Paige Lorenz. Those are the two women who dated him in the uh, period between his separation and the scandal breaking, they mm. alleged that, you know, he kind of pressured them into sexual acts that they later, or they, they, they felt were inappropriate. But again, they're not, they're not alleging rape. They're not filing any kind of charges. They, um, and I should say, you know, he acknowledges that in these situations that he's guilty of emotional abuse, not mm -hmm. physical abuse, but emotional abuse. Um, but again, that's not a crime. Uh, it's also very hard to define and how usually you, yeah, exactly. like in the direction of one gender. I never hear stories that women are emotionally abusive. Very rarely, anyway. Do you? I, I don't, know. I mean, I may not be paying attention. Honestly, I mean, it may, it may but, be yeah. a gender thing as well, like men being embarrassed about this and not wanting to talk about yeah. a circumstance where they've been mistreated in a relationship with, yeah, with some possibly. woman. Um, but I also would just suspect that it's, it happens a lot less frequently. There are... I'm, I'm afraid to say the truth. There are gender differences and it, yeah. and it has some corresponding differences uh, with respect to uh, uh, 
criminal justice statistics. When we go to commercial break, break I can tell you. We should get sponsors because yeah. then in the commercial <laughs> break, I can tell you about we gotta get, me being a massive victim of a number of these <laughs> things. We gotta get Megan Kelly's like uh, nearly nude. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> nearly nearly <laughs> nude a, a commercial read. She did a live read, Jamie. Yes. yes, about like nearly nude. Well, we're like all trying to stand there and keep it together. Yeah, I think, I think it was for pajama gram or something, but we're not advertising anything. Yeah, certainly not. Uh, Jamie, you referenced your book and, and kind of the, the somewhat over, overlap about like uh, the sudden privatization of or, or public, uh, public use of private sexual behaviors. What uh, how do those uh, those stories overlap for you or how did it inform your uh, writing about this, having written about that? Well, my book is about the the specter of homosexuality in American politics really during the Cold War when that was the most dangerous, uh, most threatening secret that you could have if you were working in the government, if you were a politician. Uh, being gay was really the most uh, heinous thing. and in, Unless you were in England. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then you were a member of the Cambridge Five. There you go, right. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I've been doing the book tour over the past couple of months, and people would ask me, well, how have things changed? And I said <laughs> that, you know, I don't, especially with Trump, too, being president and having the support of evangelical Christians, I really thought that, in a way, the kind of sexual secrets had been kind of obsolete now, right? That if, mm -hmm. if this guy, with all his Michigas, right, could uh, be the Republican, <laughs> could be the Republican president, then... You know, as long as what you're doing is kind of is consensual, you know, can it really be held? Can it can it really harm you in in American politics? This story, I think, made, made me reconsider that a little bit because mm -hmm. here you have someone who is engaging in sexual activity, which to most people might seem weird or odd. You know, BDSM or you know, cannibalism fetishes. And we should just be clear because that was really the most shocking and outrageous allegation. Yeah, that's what everyone remembers. It, yeah. it, it, it really boils down to, you know, him writing or perhaps verbalizing to various women that he wanted to do things like, you know, cook their rib and barbecue sauce or whatever and eat it. I mean, it's not like he was actually cutting or wanted or expressed any kind of or, or was actually trying to do such a thing. You know, he wasn't mm -hmm. actually trying to eat people, right? Um, so these fetish it reminds you of Prince Charles, doesn't it? Yes. Do you remember right. the the, yes. the taped call about what he to said? Be to, come on. He no. to be a tampon. I would like I would like oh, to be your God, tampon. Wow. It was a that. that's a hell of a line there. Yeah, it was a hacked early cell phone call. Yikes. When he was I think um, still married, talking to Camilla. Yeah. So I mean it's <laughs> worth asking, you know, let's say if there if there hadn't been People a weird. if there hadn't been a rape accusation, if there hadn't been an allegation of criminal activity, you know, would mm -hmm. the would the mere release of this information about Hammer's sexual proclivities. Would that, would that have been enough to destroy his career? I'm not sure. I don't, yeah, think, I don't, I don't think it would have been. But there's a lot of Me Too things happening, right? I mean, it just feels like over the I last... I mean, Al Franken was never accused of sexual much. assault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. there's, there's a moment, it seems, over the last five years, a couple of moments when the overall standard for what is enough to drum people out of polite society just lowered... And then concurrently, the journalistic standard of what does it take to, to prove it? I mean, one interesting thing about Army Hammer, and I'm sure this is key, key to his downfall, in addition to like, okay, dude, that's eating a rib. What's wrong with you? Um, uh, and, and some of that is that it's a, it's a classic where there's smoke, there's fire um, situation. It's really easy if you're just sort of sitting and casually consuming a story about someone acting bad 
yeah, okay, you have the one woman, and then you have the other woman, and then you have the other woman, and now you have the wife saying, I don't know, man, that's mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if, you know, the, the details that's are correct. fudgy on yeah. one or right. two, yeah, yeah. that just seems like volume. a volume. Volume is the only thing you need to win. I mean, honestly, I, that's- Which was that's, Al Franken, too. Which, yeah, and Al I Franken, think it's too. An, and It's important yeah. to add here that none of this was affecting his work in the sense that there were never any stories about Army Hammer being- you know, unruly on set, you know, yelling at, at uh, the crew or co-stars or not being able to learn his lines. I mean, it was not... Or sexually harassing co-stars. Or sexually right? harassing co-stars. There was never a... And there have not been any allegations of that at all. You know, this is all in his private life. Mm. So, the, the interesting thing now about, you know, when we talk about America as a terrible place as a racist place as a homophobic place transphobic transphobic the original sin um the thing that people don't often talk about is essentially the subject of your book and something your book does very well and if you if you haven't got secret city get it it's really it's it's a very it's a very good read it's not something that if you think it's going to be a a sort of lumbering political book no it's it's a very pacey terrific book and the one thing you get from that book is is the the rapidity of the change and we never give ourselves any credit for this when you look back at the opinions of gay marriage we've talked about in the show you know Barack Obama won in 2008, opposing gay marriage, Hillary Clinton opposed gay marriage. It's inconceivable. And people say now, well, they didn't really believe it. Well, they felt that they had to say it. That's an important part, right? It doesn't matter if they really believed it. That's with the temperature of the, of the, of the culture of the time. And things have changed so rapidly that one should feel a bit of pride mm. in the fact that if we're going to talk about pride parades, be pride, proudful, prideful that America has moved in such a way. And the thing that I was wondering, is when we're talking about uh, Republicans, Republican scandals, is that you see George Santos, and who's still in, I mean, having arguments with Mitt Romney on the floor last night, and you see people like that, the fact that he's, you know, in drag and lying about it, then acknowledging it, and then maybe he's gay, maybe he was married, maybe he's not. That's really not, people are talking about how his wife died, his mom didn't die on 9-11. Right. What would happen if Larry Craig happened today? Right. I don't think that'd be that big of a deal. Do you? Well, it, the Larry Craig, I mean, the, just the circumstances of that, he was engaging in illegal activity, right? He was soliciting right. sex in a bathroom. Um, I mean, it's at an airport. In an airport. You don't have a lot of <laughs> options. It's like, you know, you have to buy the water at Hudson News. I mean, there's like no other. You got to go to the bathroom at the Minneapolis airport. Was he paying? Did he, did no, he expect he's just to trying, pay? No, he's just no, trying to get just, a handy. This is where we hook up. I yeah. don't have any problem with that. There's no problem with that. No, no. I, not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, <laughs> I think the better, the better question is, you know, could an openly, could an openly gay Republican win a seat? And I think, yeah, I mean, we yeah. saw George, yeah. San- George, George Santos, Santos, right? There yes. you go. Yeah. And, um, so this may yeah. be the only thing he didn't lie about is being, well, gay. we don't know because I mean, like, he was married to a woman know. until 2019. So but he's at least, he's been dressing in drag for years. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he seems to have an interest in dudes. Seems Adam, to we don't we don't know what to believe with him. Well, you know, it's interesting, he's it's enthusiastically gay for pay is what yeah, I would say. If, it's interesting you mentioned yeah. Santos because the latest allegation came from a former staffer, a young man, who mm-hmm. who said that Santos sexually harassed him in the That's office. Right. And I have to say, among all the allegations that have come out against Santos, e- even knowing how much of a liar he is, we mm-hmm. still we still should be skeptical of an sure. allegation mm-hmm. like this because again. 
we we would need to see the evidence. And, mm-hmm. you know, this could be someone opportunistically, you know, seeing someone who's basically politically lying by the side of the road and thinking, yeah. hey, maybe I can get in on this. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's happened here, but I'm mm-hmm. saying, you know, just because this guy's been accused of lying about absolutely everything does not mean that he's also a sexual harasser. Yeah, it's and that's a, the profound yeah. difference between like skepticism and cynicism. Because mm. cynicism suggests, well, we we don't trust you at all. We don't care whether or not this is true. We dismiss your charges and allegations. Skepticism means we want to get to the bottom of this. I actually want to know whether or not this is true, and I'm willing to to seriously question the the allegations that are being set forth and demand evidence yeah. as well, which would have made all the difference in Army Hammer's situation if people yeah. said. Well, evidence is really important. There's going to be an investigation. We expect this to be looked into. And you know what? We're, we're journalists, responsible journalists. We'll, we'll plan to follow this story up later. And when your lawyer drops you because you won't actually swear to this story, mm-hmm. that's worth following up about. I mean, look, Jamie's point is a very good one. And it's often overlooked with the Santos stuff is that, you know, when there's all of this smoke and you, you know, run towards it and make your own allegation – that is always the thing. And I was saying before that volume is what, because, well, this, you know, you know that Brett Kavanaugh is guilty because the number of people, you know that Weinstein is guilty because the number of people, that's actually not why you know Weinstein's guilty. It's because the specificity of so much of it, you know, the patterns of it, the, you know, actual evidence that you have from, from people, recordings and the rest of it. But the Kavanaugh stuff, I, I was always very, that always kind of made me uneasy because, I mean, is the idea that you forego court hearings because there's so many people. So therefore it clearly has to be something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's madness, especially because in some, in some like Kavanaugh's case, there's half of the country who probably doesn't want that man on the court. There's a lot of motivation for people to run towards that and to say, maybe the interaction I had is a recovered memory. I mean, Jamie points out in his piece, this crazy woman who appears to be crazy woman um, from the hammer family. Who's in the documentary. Who's uh, is on like is a strange aunt aunt. who has, yeah, who hasn't seen in 15 years, who hated his father, right? Yes. And she They had a dispute that, with over the will of their, of their yeah. grandfather, yeah. Who she, and she then said that her father molested her, and that was a recovered memory through therapy. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places to be kind of skeptical of things like this, particularly when you're having something like that on your three-part Hulu documentary to, to give evidence against somebody she seems to barely know. Jamie, uh, Michael's talking about Larry Craig and, and giving ourselves some uh, some gay pride credit for being better. Can you uh, maybe uh, uh, illustrate that with a uh, different story from your book of someone who went through a thing in living memory um, that would be kind of inconceivable now, but it's horrible and we should know about? Oh, there are lots of cases. Hmm. I mean, I think one of the most important ones was the first gay federal employee to actually challenge his firing was a man named Frank Kameny, who was a Harvard-trained PhD astronomer. And in December 1957, he's working for the Army Map Service, which was the, ge- the forerunner to the Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And that's an important date because that's two months after Sputnik is launched, right? So we're really at the height of the space race. And here you have a Harvard-trained PhD. He's working in Hawaii in, a, in an observatory, you know, working for the basically for the military wing of the space program. And he's fired for being gay, which I think illustrates how obsessive and, thorough, and mm. thoroughgoing this purge of gay people was from the government in those early years of the Cold War, right? That they would expend all these resources to, you know, root out and fire highly trained, patriotic American citizens simply because of their sexual orientation. And there's so many other 
cases like that. I, I cite this one just because um, he was the first person to actually challenge it legally, and he failed. Yeah, he fought, right? He fought. Forever. He fought. He, he yeah, he fought he was until- for decades. I mean, he he spent the rest of his life really as a as an activist and, and living in poverty. I mean, because he had no. You have to remember if you were if you were deemed a homosexual, you couldn't. Not only could you not work for the federal government, you couldn't get a job with any federal contractor. Which, you know, during this period of time, that's a huge part of the American economy, right? So once, once you're labeled a sexual deviant, um, it was very hard to come back. Wasn't it Laura Bazelon's grandfather that adjudicated? He was involved in another case involving a NASA employee. Oh, a NASA employee. Um, about a decade mm-hmm. later, who, who, sued, who sued the federal government over his firing. Did both of these terminations intersect with James Webb, who the the telescope Yeah, that's was a fascinating for? case. So James Webb was the administrator of NASA in the 1960s during its heyday. He earlier had been a high-ranking State Department official in the Truman administration when the purge of gays began. And NASA named this great telescope after Webb. And a and a group of, you know, scientists demanded that his name be taken off of it because they alleged that he was complicit in the firing of gay employees. And NASA actually conducted its own study into this. Again, here's another example, right, of people making accusations without any sort of evidentiary basis for it. NASA NASA conducted its own historical report, in which I'm proud to say they cite my book. And there's actually no evidence that Webb was directly involved in firing gay employees. But I think it's also important to note, you know what? He was a high-ranking government official at a time when there was an executive order uh, Eisenhower signed one banning gay people from working for the government. So it, mm-hmm. it could be argued that, yes, he was presiding over major institutions, the State Department, NASA. He was presiding over major institutions that were firing gay people left and right. And in that sense, he could be deemed complicit, right? But if you're going to deem this, you know, kind of bureaucrat complicit in the lavender scare, then that means that pretty much anyone who worked for the federal government, from the president on down, Sure. From Harry Truman until Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was the president who lifted the ban on gay people being able to receive a security clearance. If that's, mm-hmm. the, if that's the standard by which we're going to take someone's name off of a statue, a building, a satellite, then you're going to have to basically remove the names of every government official from Harry Truman to Bill Clinton off, off those um, monuments. Yeah, I mean, Bill Clinton does, you know, rescinds that ban and then does Don't Ask, Don't Tell, yeah. which, you know, activists at the time... We're like, this is a half step forward, but no, this is bad. This is wrong. I mean, where do you stand on that, Jamie, when it comes to to this sort of thing, lavender scare stuff and stuff that you mentioned in the book? You know, we've talked so much on this podcast and in just America in general about the sins of our founding fathers and our forefathers yeah. and how much that should, you know, bear on their, you know, reputations, whether they should have schools named after them, statues, et cetera. I mean, if you see somebody who has a statue in Washington, D.C., and you know that they were um, a homophobe, but it was of, of its time. Of you know, there was a, a fear and a, a lack of knowledge about it. And they participated in the way that people accused Webb. How do you feel about that? Do you, do you think that people should be um, kind of stricken from history in that sense? Well, look. In, 19, I mean, honored, I in 1948, pretty much everybody was a homophobe. If we're going to use the kind of contemporary definition of what that yeah. word means, everyone was a homophobe, including progressives and liberal people. I mean, I have two chapters in my book about the Whitaker Chambers Alger Hiss case in which there was yeah. a deep current of uh, homoerotic intrigue. And you had, yeah. the, you had the progressive left-wing side, the, the, the Alger Hiss side, 
was trying to, you know, gay shame and, and gay bait Whitaker Chambers, uh, alleging that he had made these accusations about Hiss being a spy because he had been spurned by Hiss and that he was a, um, a, mental, a mentally defective homosexual and that he was acting out of vengeance, right? So th- if, if that's going to be the, uh, the threshold by which we deem someone cancelable, then everyone would be. And I think in general with these questions, you have to determine, you know, is, is, are, are the sins that someone committed in the past so great that they outweigh their contributions, right? And so that's why when it comes to George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, or even Abraham Lincoln, who expressed views on race, even though he freed the slaves, right? He expressed mm-hmm. views on race that would be considered abhorrent today. You have to mm-hmm. determine, well, did they contribute something that's worth honoring? And I think it's very clear mm-hmm. that, yes, George Washington is someone worth honoring, in spite of the fact that he was a slaveholder. When it comes to Confederate figures, I would say no. I mean, those not only were they racists and slaveholders and whatnot, they were also traitors, too. Mm-hmm. So that's, kind of, that's, that's where I come down on this. Yeah, and you don't want to celebrate people in a country that they didn't want to exist and wanted to extinguish. Yeah. The one question on that, just before we move on to anything, I don't want to be wrong about this, and I know you'll know the right answer. Would it, if we're any taint, I mean, because even the smallest taint can can get somebody run out of the pantheon of greats in America, any taint, would that affect Martin Luther King when it came to Bayard Rustin? Because Bayard Rustin had been arrested a couple of times uh, in a Larry Craig-like way for sexual activity in parks and, you know, a George Michael kind of thing in, in, uh, in I think, bathroom, I think in San Diego. In Pasadena. Uh, he, was, he, was Pasadena ha- Pasadena. he was having sex in a yeah. car. Yeah, in sex in a car. And this came, became a problem. Yes. Um, and, you know, Rustin was the one that was behind the March on Washington. Yes. And, and, and have a, absolutely have a, towering figure. Yeah, brilliant absolutely. guy. No, I have a whole chapter on this in my book, and King actually behaved very admirably because it was Strom yes. Thurmond. It was Strom Thurmond just three weeks before the march on Washington delivered a speech on the floor of the Senate where he yeah. had the arrest record on homosexual mm-hmm. offenses, which was presumably given to him by someone in the FBI. It's hard to know how else Thurmond would have gotten got uh, possession of that. And he was basically trying to destroy the march on Washington. And what's remarkable mm-hmm. is that King and the other leaders of that march, all the leaders of the African-American civil rights movement, they stood by Rustin. And that actually, mm-hmm. you know, I say this in my book, and it's been noted by other historians, this was probably the first time that a public figure survived a charge of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, there, was it not the case, and that's why I said, you know, however sort of slight that he was ultimately sidelined yes. um, Look, with, with an apology and saying, I'm sorry, we have to do this. So a couple of years before, uh, at the 1960 Democratic National Convention, King was organizing a protest, and Adam Clayton Powell, the yes. black congressman from Harlem, threatened to allege that King and Rustin were lovers. And mm. at that point, King had to sideline Rustin. Um, yeah. So yes, and look, I think Bayard Rustin would have had a much more, he'd be much more well-known, and he would, have, he would have had a more prominent role had he not been gay. I think that's inarguable. Um, and I think it'd be did, remembered I think, in a different in, way had he, not, yeah, had he not opposed black nationalism in the way that Well, that, so that's a whole other uh, segment <laughs> for the fifth column. Yeah, yeah, totally, um, yeah. yeah, anyway. Um, before we leave uh, the subject, I know you're, you know, the spirit of, of tolerance and forgiving people in the historical flow and whatnot, but you did mention Strom Thurmond. So I have to ask, um, who is a villain? Who's just like a bad 
person He's a good villain. In, the, in the Lavender Scare? <laughs> like, who do you point to and say, just fuck that guy? Well, I mean, Joe McCarthy is really the guy who instigated it in 1950. You know, it's just a couple weeks after he gave his infamous speech with, with the aforementioned list of 205 communists in Wheeling, West Virginia. Uh, it was just a couple weeks after that that a State Department official revealed while being interrogated about those charges, he revealed that, you know, there aren't that many, we've, we, we haven't let go that many people who are suspected communists, but we did fire 91 homosexuals uh, over the course of the previous. <laughs> like, hey guys, right. We're trying here. And so once that, once those revel, once that revelation was made, that's really when McCarthy kicks it up. And in fact, there was a newspaper report at the time that of all the mail that McCarthy was receiving from people all over the country in the months after he made these allegations, that only about 25% of them were primarily concerned with communists in the State Department, and that the rest were concerned with sexual deviance in the State Department. So McCarthy really made he, – he was the real instigator and the, and the leader um, of, the, of the Lavender Scare. Did Bobby Kennedy mention that when he eulogized him at his funeral? <laughs> well, but it's funny. Bobby – you know, of, of the two Kennedys – um, Jack was actually was was remarkably comfortable around gay men. His best friend was a was a gay man. Lem Billings. Lem Billings. Right? Yeah. Um, and Bobby, and this comes out in his biography, um, would repeatedly make homophobic comments. In fact, there's one kind of funny actually when I think Jay <laughs> Jay Edgar Hoover had to go to the hospital to attend to Clyde Tolson, who interestingly Army Hammer played in that movie. Jay Edgar he played Clyde That's Tolson. Right, yeah. Um, and then I think I, Kennedy said, uh, what's, what's Tolson in the hospital, hospital for? Is it a hysterectomy? Oh, or something like that. <laughs> he also referred, and also, um, it was, a, it was apparently Bobby who, or it may have been Jack, it's unclear, who referred to James Baldwin as Martin Luther Queen. Oh, Ooh. wow. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm going to say that that's Bobby. <laughs> just because, yeah, it's just it's better for me. I like and don't Bobby. forget, Bobby, while working for McCarthy, came up against uh, Roy Cohn. Yes, and he so did. that I mean, look, if like the first gay man you met and had like close dealings with was Roy Cohn, it might make you into a home into a home. <laughs> <laughs> the amazing thing is that McCarthy's lawyer is—it's not something that Roy Cohn is hiding. Right? Well, at you the time, at the time, he was very much hiding it. It was not. It was not until later on that he was living this more. Oh, for sure. Yeah. When he's a student. No, but, and, 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 yeah. and there's a chapter in my book about the Army McCarthy hearings where you'll re yeah. you'll remember there's that famous yeah. exchange with Joseph Welch, the lawyer for mm -hmm. the Army. Have you no sense of well, yeah. who's who, who celebrated by liberals today for that? But he also uh, indirectly referred to Roy mm -hmm. Cohn as a fairy. Yeah. Or a pixie, yeah. a pixie. Right. He was asked. Pixie. Yeah, a pixie. Yeah. It's less offensive. <laughs> Pixie, Pixie was normal back. Lightness loafers. That's fine. <laughs> well, we're good. Well, I want to. I wonder if we could pivot really quickly, and, and maybe you could stick around for a little bit, Jamie, because I'm sure. I'm thinking about a portion of the conversation we had a little bit earlier, where we talked about this, the changing norms in the country around sexuality and the things that can get you into trouble. But in a very real sense, sex is at the forefront of our politics again. Um, certainly, stuff like abortion is something that is talked about frequently. Also, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis at the moment are having a dueling battle of allegations, or at least DeSantis supporters, because Ron has himself He's not been conspicuously yeah. absent from the brawl. Uh, but Donald Trump posted an image of a guy who I, I imagine, I guess that is, in it's fact, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. pictured with some women um, and Donald Trump insisting that he is grooming 
young girls, giving them, plying them with alcohol while he was a teacher. I don't know how true any of those allegations are, but the photo does appear to be real. Um, although I don't know that there's any plying with alcohol happening in the photo. In either case, the, the charge that's being fired back by some, um, critics of Trump who are presumably supporters of the Florida governor is that Trump was flying around on um, Jeffrey, Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein's jet. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little more convincing photographed picture, yeah. with him. So, you know, I don't know, whatever. But it is it is interesting that the groomer kind of panic mm. is associated with this as well. Um, and there are these broader questions about trans issues. And that is at the forefront of our politics as well, both with respect to the critics and the advocates. Um, Sam Smith, too. Sam Smith, sure, in his performance at the Oscars. And, and Marjorie Taylor Greene's of the world right. saying it's a satanic uh, sexual ritual. Well, he did dress like Satan, but I don't, I mean, yeah. I think it was a costume. Costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's a costume. Um, I, I mean, I'm wondering about that, but, and maybe I'm pivoting to something else entirely um, because it's just kind of broadly related to Florida. But when I wanted to ask about your mm-hmm. trek yes. to Miami this yeah. past week. Sure. You went out there for a media event um, yes. and were with the governor of Florida. I was. Uh, and there was a very interesting scene where he looked like a cable news host. I mean, yeah, I was not expecting that. Blaring screen behind him with that, the word yeah. truth yeah, yeah, emblazoned yeah, across was, it. That was impressive. And, and the event, as you mentioned briefly earlier, was essentially, it seems like it's a, a forerunner to some plan that he has to eventually announce that he would like to see some sort of legislation making it easier to sue media organizations. Yeah. I mean, there's not much he can do considering it's a Supreme Court case. Right. Um, but there's kind of local things you can do. It's actually funny that you mentioned that groomer um, image because one of the things when I was talking to one of his people um, about this and I said to him at the beginning, like, you know, I'm, I'm not on, on, on the side of people who want to make it, um, you know, Sullivan go away. I worry about right. New York laws. Times versus Sullivan. Which yeah. 1961, was, I guess. And I think yeah. the details of that case, it was a New York, the New York Times ran an ad. It was an ad. Actually. Right. Yeah. It wasn't supporting, even a supporting a civil rights, civil rights, yeah. uh, civil yeah. rights organization. There were some charges that certain aspects of the ad were, were actually false. false. Yeah. Um, and there was a case brought by what was what was the agency that? Brought it, well, it was it was someone in the in the uh, police or the state authorities who was not mentioned by name. Mm-hmm. So the kind of malice thing, he's not mentioned, but he brings he brings suit, uh, wins, and then it's overturned in the court. But you know, as I told them, like I, you know, I see this dystopia of of the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and you know, I, Jamie, of course, knows. This. I remember. I mean, we've talked about this before. Of you know, books that can't be published in the UK, right? Because they, you know, like they, 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 we'll get a defamation thing, and it'll just destroy. It's very easy to 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 win these. Sure. I mean, there's been people, scholars, have said in the UK, it's like if, if you don't win one, and you bring one, you're doing something wrong. It's they're quite easy to mm-hmm. win. And one of the things I said in the phone, it's actually funny to the guy. And now I didn't get a chance, two things about it. I didn't get a chance to talk about this because it's not what I was there to talk about. Right. And I wasn't asked these questions. And I'm glad I wasn't because I'm not a legal scholar. And I would just be saying my opinion that is, you know, informed by what I've picked up over the years reading about this stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know the case law. I don't know the, the, the precedent here and things that have changed over time, except for some small things. But I did say to him, you know, the groomer thing, the, anything that you think is going to help you is going to come back against you too. Mm-hmm. So if you think that, you know, someone being called a racist. Oh yeah. And I'm going to see you for it. What do you think the groomer charges are going to do? Right. And then the funny thing is, you know, DeSantis by the former president of the United States is called a groomer. Right. The, the very day. I think that that was yesterday. Um, uh, later in later in the day. So yeah, the thing was, look, uh, you know, there was there was a worry in a way 
for me, like, should I do something like this when, you know, it's, I don't do stuff that's affiliated with political candidates that I've never done that. And, um, but for me, I thought it was interesting for a number of reasons. Um, mostly just cause, you know, I didn't say anything there that I wouldn't say here that I right. haven't said here a million right. times. And so it's, it's an interesting audience, but it was more interesting to, I wanted to see the governor. I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have that opportunity very much because he does not talk to people in the mainstream media. He talks to a lot of people that he trusts and he thinks will deliver the news fairly, et cetera. Um, you know, our friend Carol Markowitz was in the, the audience there. I know she lives in Florida. I know she has um, a relationship with them and reports on them. I don't mean a relationship with them, but she has access to them. And so, yeah, for me, the opportunity was, okay, I'll just go talk about what I talk about all the time and be able to say this to somebody who might be the potential uh, next president. Um, it's a very good thing to, to be in front of somebody who might be the next president yeah. and have a conversation with them and kind of get a sense of what they believe about this stuff before and after, too, mm-hmm. which I thought was the really interesting stuff was, um, you know, seeing him talk to people and seeing him talk um, about these issues in the green room uh, and stuff afterwards, which, you know, is off the record and, and keep it off the record. But it was it was a fascinating thing to see. And so for a minute, I was like, do I regret this? Should I be doing this? Because I'm a journalist, he's a political candidate, and he's doing a, it's essentially a political event. Um, not essentially, it is a political event. Uh-huh. Um, but provided I'm not required to say anything, I once was going on a Fox News show a long time ago. And it was before I really knew who um, Glenn Beck was. And I had my opportunity to get back at Glenn Beck because the first piece I ever did for, the first piece ever aired on yeah. Vice News Tonight was me grilling and, you know, uh, brutalizing Glenn Beck. Um, but I was on his show cause he would just have libertarians on, didn't know who the guy was. And then he started getting a bit crazy, you know, starting showing these face in the crowd kind of Aaliyah Kazan <laughs> type stuff. And I was in the green room and uh, he will never remember this, but I was sitting there and Jonah Goldberg came in and I said to him, I said, Jonah, I don't know if I want to do this. This guy's like a total kook. And Jonah, I think at the time was like, yeah, he's a total kook. And he said something very simple, which is very true. And it stuck with me because he said, you're just responsible for what you say. You're not responsible for what anyone else says. Don't worry about it. And I said, okay. And so I went and said what I said. But I, um, I think it was definitely, definitely worthwhile to, you know, and I did say when I was there that I'm the person on here is the crazy libertarian who mm-hmm. doesn't agree with this. Uh, I think it's valuable to have yeah, in a conversation. Yeah, and, and look, I'll tell you one thing that is actually true, and I'll give them credit for, for this. I mean, I won't take credit away from for anything. They were, just, they were very nice to me. But I'll give them credit for this. The person who invited me has listened to this podcast. Mm-hmm. The person who invited, invited me has pushed back on this podcast because we've been very mean to Ron DeSantis on things. It's critical on, of him. Yeah, on yeah, he was critical. I mean, I wouldn't say I we were I think being always nasty. fair. Yeah, we, were, we weren't being nasty. <laughs> but despite that, he still invited me. So I, I, I said, you know, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Considering he knows that, that I have been, you have been, Matt has been critical right. of a number of the decisions that DeSantis has taken. But, you know, they had me down anyway, which I thought was, which, was very nice of them. So This uh, all just reminded me when you're talking about the Fox thing in particular of uh, – uh, of Jamie's spectacular, um, oh, his RT, RT, yes, <laughs> his last, I think. Are you haven't been back on RT since then, Jamie? Uh, alas, I have not. <laughs> Wait, could, could you can you encapsulate this? What happened? Yes, RT. <laughs> uh, uh, me, I was invited on to talk about the sentencing of Chelsea, although at the time 
was known as Bradley Manning. Did I just dead name her? I'm sorry, but that's yeah. that's yes. what that's the what the well, invitation said. Well, no, I, I think you said Chelsea, and um, then you and then you explained that there, <laughs> there was a this was previously a different person who may have been Bradley Manning at the time. Well, this no, happened. I think you did it right. Right. Anyway, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it also happened to be coinciding with the Russian Duma's passage of a bill that would have barred so-called homosexual propaganda. And I happened to be in uh, Moynihan's home country of Sweden at the yeah, time Sweden. Yeah. Um, on vacation. And, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to make it a memorable experience. <laughs> and so I spent the entire day trying to find some sort of rainbow paraphernalia, like a flag. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up, all I could find, all I could find in a vintage clothing store were some rainbow suspenders. <laughs> And um, <laughs> the first time, very looked, tolerant country, but you can't find the gay uh, yeah. propaganda. It's the first time we looked even remotely gay, and it was like a Jared Polis gay. It wasn't when, even gay. when 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 it when it was my turn to speak, I pulled on the I pulled on the suspenders and denounced uh, the network, the journalists, the so called journalists who worked for it, Vladimir Putin, and it, it went on for about two minutes. I'm surprised they actually did not cut the cord sooner. But can can you tell the best part of the story? Oh, that's right. Uh, on, I, is that you're being taken to the airport yes. because you know you're given cars. RT that's the only thing gave they give me you, a they car. Drive you, they gave me a car. Yeah. I, I had to fly to Estonia immediately after, and so I told the producers, "If I'm going to do this, you're going to have to get me a car to the airport." And they said, "Of course." And then literally halfway on, so I, I I finished taping this segment. It was a live segment, by the way. So I ran into yeah. the car. We're driving to the airport. About halfway there, the driver gets a phone call from his dispatcher. <laughs> like we're not, they're not paying for this. Informing me that RT had actually gone to the trouble from Moscow yes. in Moscow of, yes. ca- of calling the the taxi company in Stockholm and saying we are no longer paying for this man's ride. And <laughs> oh, the, the driver was like he was he was pulling off the hall uh, off the highway. And at some point he was communicating with the dispatcher, and, and they d- decided you know what we'll just give this guy a break. We're going to drive him to the airport. So. Wow. So I presume from this that you're not going to be participating in the Rage Against the War Machine <laughs> rally in Washington, D.C. that's coming I out? wasn't even aware of it. Oh, oh, it's a great rally. It has all Is sorts RT of... RT pr- participating in this event? Uh, about I half, about half of the speakers have had some relationship. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, or I mean, there's a lot, of, lot of luminaries in the uh, child molestation field <laughs> uh, and weapons inspecting field. Uh, they overlap sometimes. Wait, is he? Is he? Uh, is uh, is he no longer? Part He's still of it? on it. Yeah, yeah. No, no. That's part of the thing. So, the Libertarian Party, uh, as it is currently managed, is a co-sponsor along with like uh, one of these peace and freedom working hobbits type of parties. Um, and so they're co-sponsoring it. And the each uh, group brought their speakers, and the hobbits uh, group brought Scott Ritter. Yeah. And uh, apparently, this only came. Uh, like it s- slowly began to dawn on uh, members of the Libertarian Party that maybe Scott Ritter isn't a really convincing anti-war speaker, uh, considering that he was going on Twitter uh, and saying, "I'm not anti-war." He said, "I'm pro-Russia." I, I'm pro-Russia, and then he illustrates it with a with a picture of Atticus Finch, yeah, uh, with a shotgun, and it says, "You know, I'm pro shooting shooting wild dogs." And in this case, uh, the, the Russia is Atticus Finch, and Ukraine are the dogs that need to get shot. She says, "Speaker." At an anti-war rally, who's been uh, convicted in the past? Yeah, of he's kind of soliciting. Yeah, he was, uh, but the first one, he's, it's happened a couple times. Yeah. And do you remember what I sent you that I was going to tweet, but I lost my nerve? Yeah, you'll have to repeat it. I can't remember, but he said Ukraine is a wild dog that needs to be shot. Mm-hmm. And I said to Matt, I should tweet. 
if the wild dog was 14, would you fuck it first? <laughs> so I didn't actually tweet that. <laughs> so I'm sad to see that Jamie's not doing it. But I, I do have, I want to uh, ask you about uh, groomers, uh, Jamie, just mm. because Camille sort of brought it up before he got lost in space. <laughs> but uh, when you hear well, people there was, talk, a, there was a connection there. There was, there was, yeah. it was fine. Um, just didn't make a, it a nice little uh, detour. We'll yeah. bring it back. Uh, but uh, uh, when you hear people who are involved in politics, use the word groomer, pejoratively on like a one to 10 scale 10 being like jesus christ you're doing the satanic panic except with groomers and uh one being like no there's totally some grooming problems that we need to uh, go after what what is it what is it like for you when you hear that well i I actually wrote an article for the new york times when this bill in florida came uh was was introduced and i made the point that this kind of rhetoric is is quite harmful uh to gay men in particular because Really, the worst thing you can say about a gay man is that he's a pedophile. I mean, that's really kind of like the blood libel uh, for homosexuality. And let's not forget, you know, it was in 1978, the state of California had a ballot initiative, uh, the Briggs Initiative, sponsored by a state senator that would have banned gay people from teaching in public schools. And it's important to note that, you know, leading into that vote, it was the the polls showed that it was it was uh, leading by a huge margin and what really yeah. reversed it was former Governor Ronald Reagan. He was convinced uh, by a gay activist uh, to speak out against it. And he did so on very libertarian terms. He said, um, this is a private matter. Uh, it, w- it would lead to all sorts of lit- litigation and problems in schools as you know, students would make spurious accusations against their teachers. Um, let's not forget the, you know, Anita Bryant, right? She was the um, Florida Citrus Commission spokeswoman. She launched a nationwide anti-gay campaign to repeal anti-discrimination measures protecting gay people from uh, employment and housing discrimination. She entitled her campaign the Save Our Children campaign because the threats that homosexuals supposedly posed to children. Um, So this has long been a a stereotype or a slur, a fear of, of gay men in particular. And so... You know, using a word like groomer, I think, look, I, I, there are legitimate debates to be had about what's being taught in schools, about sex, sexual education, about gender identity. I mean, I have a problem with a lot of what is being taught in these schools. I mean, I look at these videos on libs of TikTok, and they are pretty scary, right? I mean, I'm not sure how representative they are of teachers across sure, the country. That's always the question. I think that's, yeah. that's what we're missing is the real data on this. But I don't, I don't doubt that there are teachers who are introducing concepts into the early grades that, you know, should not be taught to, to kids, you know, from kindergarten to eighth grade. Um, I just wish that the rhetoric did not descend to that level. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's always a risk, I think, of having activists get into the classroom and yeah. attempt to use this as their soapbox to try and persuade a generation of young people that the right thing to do is agree with me forcefully. Um, but the reality is that such that kind of indoctrination campaign is seldom exceptionally successful um, for, for the first thing. And I think the second thing is that one has to be aware of the, the likelihood that you get this wrong, that you engage in some sort of oral correction. And as, as you were pointing out earlier, Boynihan, with respect to the, like the New York Times v. Sullivan as a standard for defamation, like our politics could be awash in yeah. libel lawsuits. There could yeah. be a universe of things where people are just kind of frivolously threatening to or suing people into silence. Like that's very different than say 
buying off Stormy Daniels so she doesn't release bad information about you. I mean, to the extent it's a small media organization or someone who has an independent Substack, like that, that, that could introduce enormous vulnerability into our system for people who sure. simply want an opportunity to try and tell an unpopular truth. Um, or for people who, or an, a real opportunity for scoundrels who imagine that they can simply use um, the, the, the threat of intimidation through the courts um, to silence their critics uh, in any number of cases. Um, but it always strikes me that with respect to education in particular, the fundamental question is whether or not these schools are any damn good at all. And I'm remembering this story um, that I saw circulating, and there was this, this heinous video of a young girl riding on a bus being slugged over and over again God, by a really large boy and a smaller boy was also participating in the violence. And I saw this video circulating and there were some, you know, kind of side um, debates about it and some kind of culture war stuff that got in, involved. But I did what I usually do when I see these things. I went and I looked at the school. What is this school like? Is it any damn good? And unsurprisingly, like on great schools, it was like two out of 10 for the scores on mm-hmm. like test test scores and such like these schools like tend to be very bad schools like yeah. schools that employ a ton of activist teachers who are more interested in, in, in indoctrination than they are like actual education and critical thinking. They tend to be very bad places. So in a number of instances, I think there is a tremendous advantage in focusing on what makes a good school. What are the appropriate standards for us to be focused on mm-hmm. and not so much trying to police what is being taught, but thinking very, very seriously about how things are being taught seems like the exact right approach. Um, and, and, and it's us focusing on the right thing um, as opposed to what are often sometimes difficult to adjudicate questions yeah. that parents ought to be heavily involved in um, or, you know, trying to replace one set of ideological propagandistic propositions with a set of new ones. You know, I don't, I don't need teachers to tell students that America is the best country ever. Um, I also don't need them to tell uh, the students that America is the worst country ever, but having thoughtful conversations about how to think about history, how to contextualize it, how to how to understand uh, a country that has, for example, had slavery in the past and has discriminated against discriminated against all kinds of groups for different reasons, but that today is much better than it was. And in in much the same way that I can talk about it, having practiced slavery and in an incredible scale, also being a country that helped pioneer Well, yeah, but but help pioneer the idea of human freedom. Like both things are true and it seems appropriate to actually wrestle with that. That's interesting. You know, these people are bad actors and arguing in bad faith um, right out of the gate, because if you were to talk to any of the people that are putting forward, you know, I just saw the state where Jamie and I are from Massachusetts. Boston was just, um, you know, choosing a 19 year old and a 17 year old and a 20 year old for their reparations committee, which I didn't even know existed. But I think if you asked any of those people that are on that committee, the one in San Francisco, and look, I've done this to people and seen the results and asked, have things gotten better in America for black people in race relations in general? You would never sit there and I'm going to bet that everyone's going to say, yes, of course, it's gotten better. That's a bad bet to make. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of people that say nothing has changed. Just Google around and you right. can find it. Or, or it's it, worse because or, it's covert. Exactly. It's worse because it's covert. It's underground. It's subterranean. It's these people are not arguing in good faith there. I mean, and also there is a kind of derangement that happens to both journalists and teachers that, that hits them both in the same way. I think it's a mental health problem. And it is this idea that you can change the world and you can change individuals. 
So in the teacher sense, it's that if I proselytize to a two-year-old, a second grader, an eighth grader, I'm going to change them for life on ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, teachers tend to change you from being just generally inspirational, not for when you're seven or eight, guiding you down an ideological path. It doesn't happen. You go to college. That can happen then, right? You can definitely have people influence you then. But the same thing is true of journalists all the time. Like, I don't find it interesting as a journalist to go and do a piece in which all the guys that I like are the good guys and all the guys I don't like are the bad guys. What is the purpose of that? Is that for me? Mm-hmm. Is that just for me to talk to myself? Or do I believe that I'm going to move the needle? Because you're not going to move the needle. It's much more interesting and more entertaining and, you know, just a better product in general. If you give everybody their say, and if you have faith in your argument, if you have faith in your side of the ledger, that you're giving the other side enough rope to hang themselves. You don't need to make them look bad. They make themselves look bad. That's a very, very simple thing. I don't understand why these teachers that Jamie references, you know, how, how frequently one sees them and how, how um, much this actually happens in schools. I don't know. But that are making, it's not only that they're actually doing this, they're making TikTok videos about it. They're almost inviting yeah. the, the libs of TikTok. They probably want it in some they, ways. They do. Yeah. yeah. And then some of them absolutely do. Yeah. And they're saying like, this is what I'm telling my students is true. It's like beyond the fact of like most the average parent would be like, where the hell do you get off doing that? Of what you you think is true. You're 22 years old and you have a lip ring that is the size of a dinner plate. And you're (laughs) trying to tell me what, you know, as you're a great historian or something. But the motivation to do something like that, I find deeply, deeply disturbing. That anyone would want to do that. If I were with a bunch of kids, my desperate thing would be like, I want you to read everything. I want to debate you. I want to talk to you. I want you guys to go back and forth on it. These people are cult members. And I presume there's people on the other side of this, too. But we're not having, you know, big political debates about conservatives these days, although we used to do it in Texas quite a bit with the school book stuff. I want to tease before we uh, let uh, Jamie go soonish um, that uh, to talk about later, not even on this podcast, but on future podcasts, the uh, active shooter situation at my uh, my daughter's. Uh, oh, that was your daughter's school. school? <laughs> was that today? No, no, it wasn't today. It wasn't an active shooter either. But like, there's a lockdown now. There's new. Uh, there's new. Uh, um, uh, metal, there was a school shooting today. Was there a school shooter? I hope there was. Yeah, I mean, a school shooting depends. I haven't seen. It depends uh, on what, what. What do you call a school? She didn't shooting. text me from inside the. Yeah, so it's uh, it's not going all that great at the uh, nice white parents' school. All right, turns that's out. good. Well, maybe we should let Jamie bounce. Um, he's given us um, an, quite a bit of his time. Thank you for having yeah. me. So, thank well, thank you, you, Jamie. Jamie as and, always. Um, um, everybody go buy Jamie's book and go subscribe to Airmail to read to read his piece. And, and uh, to subscribe, you just have to enter your email address. You can. Yeah, but then you don't get everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, subscribe it's to not... the fifth column. Yeah. I mean, don't give it to Graydon Carter. He owns a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> a very, very hip <laughs> restaurant in the West Village. You know, and I like the little the side uh, gl- uh, mentions in your piece about like, uh, oh, and then there's this Vanity Fair piece from 2021. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was that you who put that in there? Yeah. Is that great? It's like, ah, let me edit this for you. <laughs> um, it was my de- decision. It was the most it was the most read Vanity Fair piece of 2021. So I thought that was worth mentioning. That was it. Oh, my yeah. God. That's terrible. Yeah, that's an uh, was once a great magazine. Um, is no longer. So. Yeah, it is appropriate to ask those people if they plan to follow up. I'm curious. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jamie. Jamie. Bye. So, Matt, yes, State sir. of the Union. You were writing something about this. You watched this. Did yesterday. You watched the whole thing. Um, I watched the whole thing. Wrote a pre-write and a post-write, just like a old-timey yeah. journalist. Old-timey. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. So, what, what did you write about this this year, Matt Welch? Did you write about the sartorial excellence on display? 
Um, Taylor Greens. Uh, Taylor Green. I think I think what she was going through there was uh, sort of Narnia inspired. Yeah. Like she is the the witch of Narnia. Yes, that's right. I think that's what it was, right? Uh, what What's your description of her, Moynihan? Like every so- South Carolina wine mom I've ever met. What was your? You said something. I, think like, I might have actually yeah. said white trash wine mom, but white, white right. I don't want to. I don't want to bring race into it. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not. <laughs> do that. I'll only do that in a text thread. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, no, and uh, we learned just before uh, starting the tape that uh, she was attempting to dress yes. like the Chinese balloon. Yes. What do you, t- what? There was another photo of her. She was walking in, around. In Congress, walking around, walking around with, with a balloon, balloon, big balloon. Wearing yeah. some white sneakers as well. Yeah. I'm um, smiling very large, which is how we know that the white balloon thing is very serious, very scary, very intimidating. Republicans are outraged that this kind of thing could happen on Joe Biden's watch, which is why he needs to resign immediately. Do you remember yeah. when people walked, <laughs> walked through Congress de- dressed as the U-2 spy plane that was just shot? Down? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary Francis Powers, you know, Francis Gary Powers. Um, yeah. It's political she's, innovation. She's uh, she's I mean, really something. It's been only 14 years since we had uh, you lie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, who's uh, that? Joe, uh, Joe Wilson. Joe Wilson. Joe Wilson. South war. Carolina, right? Yeah, some uh, uh, around there. And um, as uh, I think David Gura used to work in MSNBC, and I think in NPR, he's a good guy. Follow him. Um, pointed out, like after Joe Wilson did that. He like wrote uh, Barack Obama a letter of apologies. Yeah, he did. Mm. Yeah. He was reprimanded officially by the House of Representatives. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Maureen Dowd wrote a really awful uh, column, uh, basically adding. You the just word- have to say she wrote a column. <laughs> okay. The other stuff is implied. Adding the word "boy," she was saying that it was implied. Oh. That was you lie, boy. So it all became about race. Oh. Um, I love the fact that her knowledge of the South comes from like old episodes of Dukes of Hazard. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a Smokey and the Bandit cops. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Gleason. if anybody watched the speech and I really hope you didn't, but some of us have to do it professionally. Um, it was just a shit show of Marjorie Taylor greens and Lauren Boebert, whatever her name is, just go boo and liar like over and over again. like thumbs down, standing up. Like there's just pictures of their faces, like in this sort of like contorted, crazed, yeah. contorted laughter, pleasure, anger. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, Biden uh, loved it. Um, of course, he 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 played off it really well. He played off it uh, uh, really well, and all of the uh, Democrats, left leaners in uh, my uh, Twitter uh, feed were just high fiving, um, including um, a lot of people in the media too, because they said that uh, that uh, Biden, Dark Brandon, uh, said <laughs> this is headlines on pieces like. Dark Brandon <laughs> sticks it to the uh, clueless mob uh, and let, that he'd sucker punch them into agreeing not to touch Social Security. Right. Because that was the whole you can watch. The, uh, yeah, I saw it was it. a two and a half minute exchange, more or less, where he's about ready to come up and accuse Republicans of wanting to hold the debt uh, limit uh, debt ceiling hostage to cutting Social Security and mm-hmm. sunsetting it in every five years. This has been bullshit, which I've talked about a few times in this podcast. Uh, for as long as he's been saying it, for as long as Jonathan Chait and other hysterics have been writing about it, um, this is there's no plan to do anything like this. And they're talking so, about Rick Scott. Talking about Rick Scott putting together a plan which has one sentence, like eleven words, having uh, that says we should uh, sunset federal programs. And then when they asked him, these are federal laws, didn't it? Uh, could be federal laws, yes. yeah, which is a law, yeah. Um, and uh, when they asked him a follow up question, he unveiled this last March. Um, like, oh, do you mean like Social Security, Medicare? He said, no, I don't mean that. 
He actually, he actually did say that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It, 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 does it help at all that, that, that Joe Biden kind of qualified the allegation and said, well, you know, not, not everybody, but there's someone, you know, some people. Well, sure, I'm, I'm just doing write, them a favor by office, naming man, them. Write it. Write it. I got it. I got well, that. I thought he was, he was accurate there um, when he said, you know, I'm not talking about everybody. Yeah. Because it was clearly about Rick Scott. But I didn't know that Rick Scott had actually um, said that he was not talking about. He had not. Because talk- he had been, he had been kind of reprimanded by Mitch McConnell for that, I think. Immediately. Yeah. Mitch McConnell said on the day that that came out, and Mitch McConnell runs the Senate, unlike Rick Scott. Rick Scott would like to run the Senate. Um, and like, uh, try to, to come at Mitch McConnell a little bit. And like people who supported him in doing that have been marginalized by, like Mike Lee, uh, last week. Um, but Mitch McConnell said the day that came out, we're not going to do any plan at, uh, wow. sunset social security. <laughs> That's Security's good. Man. Really good. Uh, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, it's uh, funny how your wow. lips don't move at all. That's yeah. Like, that's a secret. Tip yeah. of the turtle. That's, wow. That's how you do it. So um, the cocaine will do to you. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, so anyways, Biden, uh, uh, like when he made the, uh, that, al- even the qualified, al- he started qualifying it when people were like booing yes. and yelling because it was yeah. a weird high energy moment. Um, it's okay. Not all of you then, you know, so, but at least some of you guys are in my office. Um, and then, uh, they, they're calling him a liar. And then he says, Oh, so you basically, you're going to support social security and, and Medicare and help protect it. And they cheer. And, uh, and then he's like, oh, that's great. So we did, we, we decided to save social security, protect social security tonight. Isn't that great? And all these idiots wrote like Joe Biden outsmarted the Republicans again. It's a magic trick. He just did a magic <laughs> trick. He said, stand up. Everybody stand up if you like old people. That's where he started, right? He said, like, you, well, that, it said, so he was said, um, to support our seniors. And like, you're not going to fucking sit down. Like, no, I want them all to die. Cause half the people standing up are seniors. Like, all right, seniors. they get up. And now he's like, now they're all up. All right. And do you want to save Medicare when you're standing up? And it was like this elaborate, like fucking, you know, it was like a, a, a David uh, Blaine trick. And it's like, oh, he admitted, they admitted to it. He's like, no, no, no. If you just ask them, you'll get their honest answer. But if you're playing a stand up, stand down, magical, like a, a chairs kind of thing. Uh, come on, guys. There's uh, three people who uh, matter in the discussion about Republicans and whether or not they want to cut Social Security, Medicare. Um, those people are Mitch McConnell, aforementioned, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's the person, uh, the House Speaker, who's negotiating with Biden over the debt ceiling, yeah. uh, and Donald Trump, who's the most important part uh, member He's of- He's been very explicit about this. Trump sent uh, everyone, uh, he made a public statement saying, don't touch Social Security, that'd be stupid. Yeah. McConnell has been saying that for 10 years, uh, and McCarthy said that explicitly a few days ago. So Joe Biden, he outsmarted Republicans by convincing them to agree to something that they all already agree with. And everyone <laughs> said that means the dark Brandon is back. He's ready to run for re-election. Everyone loves him. He's and the interesting thing to watch now, um, because he had a of the a a pretty, how to say this, Trumpy speech without the the pure insult comedy, although he had a couple of good jokes um about like uh, yeah, you know, uh, lots of luck in your senior year <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> to the yahoos. But uh, no, he's talking about, uh, you know, made in America, everything, these big t- trade policies. We're going to do an industrial policy. Oh, no more, uh, no more resort fees at hotels. We're going to go. They're not even resorts. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. Not a resort. Uh, going after big tech, he's going to clamp yeah, yeah. down. No more advertising. It might like sound a lot of Trumpy things. There started to be people. Charlie Kirk among them is like, that sounded kind of MAGA. I mean, I'm sure he's lying, but it looks like he's borrowing from Trump here. And Ross uh, Douthat had a piece today saying these that he's borrowing from Trump. It's inevitable. No, 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 no. You're all fucking wrong. 
Donald Trump on most issues when it comes to trade, when it comes to economics, is left wing. He's a lefty. He that is borrowed it. from them. He, he borrowed from them. I mean, he cut taxes. Yes. I don't think he would do that again. I think that if you probably pushed him on this, he would he would he would probably double back on it at this point. Yeah. I'm sure you probably would, would get Steve Bannon to do the same thing and say, you know, because Steve Bannon said we have to soak the rich. And he made the initial proposal to Trump in 2017 to make the highest rate 44 percent or 43 percent which Trump rejected, but entertained. I mean, all these people had entertained it. And the incredible thing is, is that, you know, this MAGA speech of like all these populist points, when he's saying Republicans, they want to cut social security and they're all booing. They're not booing. I mean, if they actually were making an ideological point, They'd be booing because they don't want to. That's why. No, that's why they, they love. Get, they want to give old people were, money, and they give old people money to get calling, their votes. They were calling him simple. a liar yes. because they agree with him. Yes, they agree with him. They agree with him. They're not. This is not like Reagan's Republican Party are, booing. Uh, it's like the amount of epistemic closure, to use an old debased term, yeah. among people who aren't paying attention to where the actual Republican debates are happening. Yes, yeah. you're going to get Rick Scott. He's going to have a blueprint that no one reads, and he's going to disavow the one thing that you're cherry picking to use against him. He's going to do that. My God, uh, the I, I went and God help me for doing this, but I was actually I wanted to find footage or commentary about parts of the State of the Union address, and I'm like, oh, I'll just go in Kevin Cruz's feed, the historian, uh, who I stopped following on Twitter a long time ago, um, just like presenting as absolute fact, you know, Dark Brandon just like crushed and exposed them for wanting to privatize Social Security. That's not who how originally wrote those tweets. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, anyways, the the whole uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke. <laughs> it's it's totally right. No, there's going to be there's going to be a NatCon bromance with Joe Biden. Mark my words. This is my prediction going forward. The thing that they differ on are just like shouty stylistic populism and and, and culture war issues. Culture yeah. war issues. Yeah. The, the groomers are coming for you. Education is like the actual only real policy issue of significance. You know, Biden was just like sort of like shouting about about china in the oh, middle of that yeah. it was really weird any sense who wants to be xi jinping <laughs> <laughs> i don't know he seems like he's got control of china <laughs> there, he, he was, was a, so happy to shout there was, was a lot of praise for his performance yesterday he Absolutely. hung around for a long time at the end yeah yeah um i i mean i don't want to talk about my my dark my theory because i'm why the thing about it, not speculating no I mean, you can't fucking introduce uh, it and walk away dark come, on, come on no i'm just uh, like he's napping dark camille he's not na- yeah, dark camille <laughs> he's napping all day before this event like yeah. do you think you know he took a little something before he got wow, up wow you think they like a horse before a race they shot him f- i mean something? i take adderall before i perform here the, yeah so uh, you're not even mad about it no i'm, I'm medicated i want to know what he's using it seems yeah, yeah yeah he was awake he was engaged yeah, yeah. he was he, like the last person to lead the building that he night. sped through some of that speech too Boy, yeah, he was going. I think it was the longest word count or second longest. Uh, right. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was like seventy thousand words or something crazy. Clinton post impeachment. I saw it on was, Twitter. Yeah. Was like an incredibly long. That yeah, incredibly. Considering like the number of diversions as well, where he went off script, like it, it, those weren't the worst moments of the speech. No, those for him like it, totally effective. But for me, as someone who uh, am not, I don't belong to political parties. And I worry about how fucked the future is. Um, it was a terrible, terrible, awful speech because it told us we're going to live in this populist moment, this hyper populism that we've had since 2015. Um, I don't see it ending for the next now. No, because they married it to the brand of politics, which is the shouty Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene is the single least impressive person 
in a body full of, you know, unimpressive people. And she's done that by wearing dumb outfits, tying balloons to her neck and screaming at people. It's like, I don't know. Do you know anything? Like, have you ever heard this woman talk about policy? I have on a couple of podcasts. And I think she was doing her own for a while because I came across this stuff on Twitter and I'm like, this is literally wine mom. This is like wine mom who's been listening to Rush Limbaugh is yeah. essentially what it was. And like, she is, she's really not smart. And I don't, it's terrifying that this woman is, you know, representing a small district in Georgia, much less, you know, controlling an aspect of the Republican Party, a little kind of area of it. I mean, I don't think AOC is dumb. I don't think she's smart like everybody else thinks. I think she's sort of middling. Mm -hmm. But I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is actually stupid. And I see this kind of performative stuff because that's what you do. I used to have an editor who would look at things and uh, had no ideas. It was incredible. And instead of giving notes, because editors would give notes, they would give notes on like music and on like typefaces, like on the, the lower thirds. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, I don't like that type. The music's a little loud here. It's like, you have no ideas, do you? <laughs> and that's what she does. That's what yelling does. You're yelling about typefaces and music because you don't have any idea about policy. And it's an incredible thing to watch because I do think it is disgraceful in some way because there are some people that will say, well, you know, what about question time? Well, yes, that's been a 400-year tradition. Right. I mean, this is, you've just decided to do this last night? What about dentistry? It's not, we don't have yeah. the same values. Yeah. We have different values. I mean, I just thought to watch that in, I just, uh, looking at her face makes me angry. Wow. That contorted, mm. like insane person face makes me angry. Yeah, the, did... shot, the shot of her, like, standing up, leaning over the seats in front of her. Yeah, it's, it's like she's in a down. fucking NHL mouth, game. Mouth agape. Yeah. Ga yeah, yeah. Agape, agape, gaping. Yeah, yeah, gaping too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, doing the thing. Yeah. Looking absolutely absurd. Looking simian. Yes. She definitely. I would was. like to know who makes that white fur, faux fur jacket. Somebody identified like it um, and had the wrong criticism. They were like, oh, and she's wearing this, and there was like a link to it. It's this $400 jacket. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what jackets cost. <laughs> it's also, for, it's not like a $10,000 dress or something. Come on. Anyway, but yeah, I just, I find her like loathsome in every possible way. Just because, I mean, look, you know, if we, we've allowed it for so long, there was a point at which we would talk about Daniel Patrick Moynihan as like the last intellectual of the Senate. Because he was, and he was an incredibly bright guy. And, you know, the last book that he wrote that I mentioned all the time, Secrecy, that published by Yale. And um, that was called like a lamentation. that We don't have the smart people that we used to have. And you go and look at the, you know, William Hague, the defense secretary in the UK at the time, I remember pointing this out, who had just written a book on Pitt the Younger that was published by Knopf. And it was like 600 pages. I mean, we don't have that okay. Well, we lost it. I mean, we lost Moynihan, it. Moynihan, in our defense, I yeah. mean, uh, Stacey Abrams could have been president of the United States yeah. and maybe could have been a governor or something. I don't know if she'd actually win a race, but she writes a lot of books. Yeah, she wrote the book Stroke It, uh, <laughs> which I loved. Under a different name, though. Not anymore. Uh, Not anymore. Her name is on those Marco books now. Marco Steele or something. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you want to, it, it's, we've, it's been normalized that people that are um, governing are morons. And one would just hope that they weren't all Marjorie Taylor Greene. Another thing. You know who is smart, by the way, is Chip Roy. Uh, whether Chip you Roy like is, him or not, he's a very bright guy. I, I interviewed him. I, he was, I was like, oh, this guy actually knows who's talking about. I, uh, agree I, or disagree? I, I agree with him. There's other people yeah. uh, from Texas, not quite as much. Uh, I'm wondering what you thought, uh, to the extent that you listened and paid attention, Camille, what, about the 
political violence and Paul Pelosi aspect because mm-hmm. I found that uh, in its own way uh, uh, awful. But I was just uh, wondering what you thought. Yeah, well, you know, Paul Pelosi. I think that there is uh, a sense in which one can level some serious criticism at a number of Republicans who were kind of openly engaging in this bizarre conspiratorial speculation about some bizarre sexual affair that was almost certainly taking place, insisting. And, and this is the thing that wasn't even so much. It was like he had you no know, pants on. He's like, he was in bed. This, this, is, this is a strange story. It'd be great if we had some additional detail. Like this should be released. It was openly, openly speculating and narrative and fabricating a narrative about this bizarre sexual affair that was taking place and, and filling in all of these gaps with definite certainty about the awfulness that was taking place. And when you actually see the video of what transpired there, it doesn't look anything like the preposterous things that were being asserted. Now, what Joe Biden did wasn't flag people for that sort of gross, obscene speculation. He flagged them for something else, which I think is actually much harder to substantiate. It's, well, people talked about election theft, which is bad. You don't do that. But they talked about that. And that's what led to this violent attack. And it's just like, well, no. I mean, this guy is an actual lunatic. He's Mm -hmm. a psychopath. Mm -hmm. And he's crazy in the same way that the guy who shot up the congressional baseball field was crazy. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that he was also a Bernie Sanders supporter. Was he inspired by Definitely, absolutely, the the kind of pitched rhetoric of a presidential campaign. I suppose so in this preposterous, indirect way. But he would have found something else written on a Snickers wrapper that inspired him to do something else bad. He was a lunatic. And this man who had before that been, you know, uh, was in a gay relationship and was a Black Lives Matter supporter also happened to believe a bunch of other conspiracy theories related to stolen elections and QAnon. Shocking. They're all very, they're very quick jumps between them, by the way, between those theories. Sure. That they're, 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 they're theories of the world that you can summarize in two sentences. Absolutely. Biden, like, yeah. Yeah. Biden's four words description was unhinged, which is good. Sure. Big lie assailant. It's preposterous. Big lie assailant. He's the unhinged big lie assailant. It's gross. Who attacked Paul Pelosi. I mean, you're making, I mean, <sighs> Look, it, it, all the people that come, with the exception of Bono, um, <laughs> which I didn't see the Bono bit, but was he like making political hay like against the edge or something? Was he saying, like, Adam Clayton, <laughs> he's, he's just, a QAnon supporter. He's just trying to be a fly on the wall. Oh, oh I'm going to cut that. No, I'll leave it. I'll leave it. I'll leave it. I'll leave it. Just for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's just you're taking tragedy. In putting it in the galley, in making politics out of it, this, this it's it, like literally, definitionally, what it is. And I find it kind of gross. You mentioned the congressional baseball shooting, which I think probably has more of a of a plausible political connection because the guy went to the field with the Republicans. Tons right. Sure. Well, no, you're, you're absolutely right. To murder them. Yeah, it was yeah. literally yeah. political in yeah. that respect. So Biden says in this thing, um, and it's a brief section, mercifully, but he said. Something to the effect of there is no room in American life for political violence makes a statement like that as a Camille Foster esque statement. And he only mentions the one against Paul Pelosi, calls him a big lie assailant. (laughs) And is is there someone else you might just mention in passing? Like, I don't know, the congressman who's in the room who was almost murdered. Mm. Like, you could nod in that direction. Mm. And if you were going to actually be serious about we have to stop political violence, it is we have to stop excusing political violence, too. The Mm. rejection needs to be thoroughgoing and it needs to be for everybody and to sort of portray it. And this is a consistent theme that he's done in his 
extremism speech in yes. uh, Philadelphia and elsewhere. Yeah, um, always one. It's like we all have to come together and reject it. It's American. Come on. Yeah. Um, and then every example yeah. is it's like, right why won't Republicans left. reject violence? Yeah. That's you the only, real problem. You only here. have to add a couple of words. The guy that I was sitting next to in this panel yesterday was a guy from Virginia, and he sued NBC, I guess, mm. Katie Couric or something, did a documentary, and he's in this gun rights group in Virginia. He very much looks the part of the gun rights group. Uh, and Virginia guy, um, they showed the clip of what happened, and I guess they um, it got thrown out or something, but it was the most blatant thing I'd ever seen. It was unbelievable, because they had actually recorded the interview. And it was like, you know, should anyone get a gun? And it just showed them for like 30 seconds, all like sitting there looking. And they were like, oh, that actually was from when they were setting up and they, they were filming us and they put it. And I was like, no, no, that's a huge no, no. We would mm. never do that. I would never do that. Defended the people I work with. No one would ever do that. Wait, they tossed that case out? Yeah, I think so. For some weird reason. Mm. And that's, you know, they bring him because like, that's a case that you would think yeah. he would win. But they also bought salmon. Yeah. But, but he said, um, even this guy, you know, who's a gun rights guy from Virginia, presumably, um, votes for Republicans. He was talking about media nonsense. And even he said, like, you just have to throw those words in. I was surprised. And he was like, you know what? It's like this media nonsense, you know, and it's on both sides. He said mm-hmm. that. And I was like, oh, okay. That's interesting that he mm-hmm. said that. But why can't Biden just say that? Because it's not as if since 2020, for instance, that the political violence has been Paul Pelosi on January 6th. It's right. been quite a bit of it. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, a lot of it's been on the right. And that should all be denounced. But there's been other stuff, too. And that includes when you believe that your cause is righteous. That does not excuse it to say, like, well, after George Floyd, no, you don't get to blow things up. You don't get to burn things down. You don't get to burn cop cards. And you don't get to kill former police chiefs and or police officers in St. Louis who also are black, by the way. People have totally forgotten about that story. That's something that should be denounced over and over and over to anybody who will listen. And I think that's probably something— uh, it's total speculation. I think that's probably something that Bill Clinton would have said, mm. that, you know, an all sides kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean. Uh, well, I mean, he did do a crazy thing after Oklahoma City, which was a very, very similar thing of like. That's true. All the right wing. It's all. He's he he yeah, to, to blame Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. But, you know, you can see this in a different way. I mean, we, it is this point of such partisanship that you can't even acknowledge that this is something that should be denounced on all sides. Um, and of course, the Paul Pelosi thing, I don't even know what the politics of that work is because Camille's point is like, that's somebody who's really, really deranged. And, the, and the, the conversation about politics has been crazy so many times in the past. And, and, you know, if the political conversation gets crazy, gets incredibly heated, do you blame the conversation every time somebody does something as a result of that conversation? Mm-hmm. So the, what, what is the option? Don't have those conversations. I don't know, because no one's turning down the temperature on either side. So who's blamed? Who's, who gets blamed for this at this point? Yeah, I think there's there's a root of a apocaly- apocalypticism yeah. mm-hmm. um, um, that people don't want to let go of. Um, yeah. And and that's just not going to take the temperature down. You yeah. could you could figure out a way you could. I mean, uh, that's a thing with two party systems. They're pendulums. They're mimetic. People are going to copy each other. And when they see that you get rewarded, Joe Biden got a cookie. Uh, Joe Biden had a really good night last night for him from his point of view, for yeah, the reception sure, that he gets. Sure. I don't think it's going to really matter. It doesn't matter. No. Um, uh, these things usually don't. I think it matters more like in his perception of whether he can and should run again and whether Democrats are going to be enthusiastic for him to run again. And that looks like it's going to happen, right? Uh, now, I think after yeah. after that performance, it's so, more too. likely to happen, which is like sets up the perfect like we're really going to have a Biden-Trump rematch. 
Like uh, I wanna. I is that window open? Uh, by the way, one of the reasons <laughs> to really, if you're a Republican, want DeSantis, if Biden's going to run again, is that um, I saw something this morning, and somebody was talking about uh, DeSantis, and it was something in the past week. Um, but that, and it was somebody who really didn't like him. But it was like you know you, you have to admit that he has, that he's a he's a bright guy and he's you know agile on his feet. It's like when you have a guy who's stumbly and slow like Joe Biden on the debate stage, and you have somebody who's meandering and insane like Trump, it kind of looks like a draw half the time because mm. it's just a bunch of old men babbling. But if you have somebody who's like forty four or something, isn't that what DeSantis is going after um, um, uh, Biden? That's going to be. I mean, Democrats really want to do what they did to our friend Peter Meyer and probably ho- get Donald Trump, get the MAGA candidate in there, because it's going to be much easier for Joe Biden to beat him than it would be for DeSantis. I think that that's basically his only shot, really. Is it's his only shot, is, yeah. If Trump wins. And by the way, one other thing I noticed in the newspaper when I was in Florida is that um, some – I can't. you can look this up, Camille. It's in Miami. There's somebody in Miami, some group, that had called uh, DeSantis a racist. Hmm. And the, when I got down to Florida, I was looking online, looking at some news stories. And uh, the head of that group and some of the other people that were involved and in, called DeSantis a racist, and I think it was because of that AP course, um, uh, apologized. Publicly. Really? They had a public apology. And the guys that actually said it were there. And I'm like, I didn't get to ask him, but I was like, what the fuck did you do <laughs> to get some of I've never seen that ever happen. And that was like That's a weird... Did you, did you find it? Yeah, yeah. It's like um, the... It must. I don't know if it was some government. Must have been some government. Yeah, we're sorry. Miami board leaders board leader apologizes. I'm wondering if this is school board. Days after members of Miami Dade's County's Black Affairs Board yes, called Black Affairs Ron DeSantis racist. The leaders of that volunteer panel apologized for the comments and said it did not reflect consensus. Words matter. Is the quote? Uh, as go. chair, I Over. must start by saying we want to pull that back. There's nothing wrong with saying we're sorry. That's not what we want to say right. yeah. or, or be depicted by anyone. And that's not the feeling of this board. I thought it was pretty impressive. I, in, in those guys, especially, they were like, I don't know what precipitated that. But like, I mean, you get, that's, he's getting results in weird ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, a, yeah. a county black affairs board, it's not unimaginable that some of the people on that board like actually support yeah, him. Especially in Florida. Yeah. 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 I mean, so did you? Did anyone see the Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, sidewander response? response? That was no, I read it. I didn't see. Yeah, it, um, it yeah. was. It was a lot of culture war. Culture war stuff. Yeah. Um, very. If there was not, if there was a, any discussion about like economic stuff, it was just that you know they spend too much money, they tax you too much. That, that's about yeah, it. yeah. Which is it was boilerplate like stuff. Really pro forma, but there wasn't any like, oh yeah, you shouldn't yeah. maybe get the federal government involved in resort fees. Yeah, it wasn't um, anything like yeah. that. Yeah, it was. It was uh, ed- education is the again the big like issue, and she. Hits it and she hits it, I think, in a, in a good way or an interesting way. And then it's just like woke ideology, this woke ideology, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is like getting a little tedious. But I was trying to figure out if we were going to talk about this today because I was trying to I, – I was busy. I wasn't keeping up with these hearings today. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I think we'll probably have to tackle that another time because there's yeah. some stuff in there that I think is is worth talking about. Yeah. I want to get but your perspective on. on the broad thing though, but, but mm-hmm. not even knowing anything about what happened yeah. um, is that <laughs> – you know, I think we're all kind of we're, we're like wow by wowed by some of the revelations that mm-hmm. the Twitter Mary, files, yeah. the Twitter files, and stuff like that. And I know that Yale 
Roth guy was that is that his name Neil Roth mm-hmm. um, was there and uh, getting getting the once over by by both uh, liberals and conservatives. But the question that I have is: Does this need to be something that the Congress is investigating or having hearings over? Why is this? Why is this necessary? It's to me because I was thinking about it, it's like this is almost like having hearings over communism in motion pictures. It offends everyone. It affects everyone. It was the big tribune at the time. You know, mm-hmm. people were talking and there were these messages in movies and that's how everyone's getting their information, their entertainment. They're subtly trying to pull us into this. And if it's not about regulation, is this a place of the government to actually be saying, well, I, what, what are you guys preventing and not preventing? I think there's, there's an aspect of this that necessarily involves government, which is at this point, it's very clear that from both Democrats and Republicans, there was a regular habit of reaching out to Twitter and various other social media organizations and asking them to remove content yeah. from different publications. Yeah, this, is, this is a form of censorship. This is, this is bad. Um, and in general, to the extent that's happening, I want to know the full extent to which it's happening. One would expect the hearings to be more thoughtfully constructed as opposed to uh, explicitly politically motivated. I mean, the thing that was of most interest to most of the Republicans who were doing the Is interrogation appears to be the Biden laptop yeah, yeah. situation and the degree to which this story was suppressed. And I mean, I think the reality is that Twitter at the time acknowledged that they had made a mistake um, and was talked at least about overcorrecting. There's a sense in which a lot of that has been adjudicated and much of the revelations of the Twitter file stuff early on was precisely about that. But there was a story in the in the Rolling Stone today and there appeared to be some revelations about it um, today in the hearings as well that there was a, a database of requests from the Trump administration and other Republicans asking for sure. to be removed as well. And this kind of stuff hasn't been as widely publicized, but is shouldn't be of any surprise to anyone. So to the extent that members of Congress are going to be openly talking about the need to regulate all of these social media companies, one thing that the public needs to be very well aware of is the degree to which the government is already interested in trying to yes. regulate the things that you can hear. Are these the people who you can no trust? laws. They, 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 they can tell you to fuck things. off. Yeah. They could. Yeah. But but while they're threatening to pass all sorts of laws or to sub- subject you to all kinds of public in uh, 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 public um, <laughs> inquiries and uh, public dressing downs, there could be plenty of things that, that could be embarrassing to you personally. That could be financially expensive for you mm-hmm. if they affect the stock prices, if there's constant, persistent harassment from one political party or one yeah. particularly um, powerful senator. Like all of those things are of material significance and represent a kind of censorship and demand scrutiny. So to that extent, I think the hearings are very, the but hearings you, could have been worthwhile. Do you, do you worry? Um, as for both of you, cause I mean, I, I do think that also we're the, probably the only three people left on earth who think it's um, a bad idea for the government to regulate social media companies because <laughs> conservative, like Republicans have completely come around on this. So they like, let's, you know, I remember that first, first time I had actually heard it when Steve Bannon was yelling at me, there are utilities, there are utilities, there are public utilities. Um, and people who don't want that to happen, is it not more likely when you have these big kind of, you know, omnibus hearings on everything under the sun? And that's the Hunter Biden laptop, which is a political thing, but it is not being suppressed as we, we don't think because of, you know, Dem- I mean, Dem- the Democrats didn't control the White House. I mean, there's, I mean, I mean there's, Biden, there's, the, the there's, campaign can say something. Sure. But- there's always a, there's a censorship by proxy issue. Yeah. Um, and if you are these big companies, you have so much regulatory stuff in front of the federal government. Yeah. 
Um, and you have typically in these cases of all kinds of hearings, I, I remember when the Congress, the House uh, Oversight Government Reform Committee was doing a series of hearings about steroids and baseball. Baseball. I, this, I had the same thing at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. and there they were explicit. And John McCain was explicit. You better do, you know, shake the finger at them while they're up there saying you better do something to clean up your thing or else we're going to pass legislation and clean it up for you. I mean, yeah. the, the threats were explicit. And of course, Bud Seeley, the baseball commissioner, loved that because that put pressure on the yeah, union, exactly the cave. Right. So it's a whole unholy thing here. The interest to me, the strongest interest by far is, okay, what did the CDC do? What did public health apparatus sure. do to actively lean on, breathe on um, social media companies? Let's not forget that Joe Biden, among many of the insane things that he has said, he said that Facebook and social media are killing people. Um, mm-hmm. The government announced under the Surgeon General in July 2021 that uh, they're going to have a whole of government look at uh, uh, combating misinformation having to do with vaccines. And what do you know? Right around then is when suddenly a whole bunch of people start getting kicked off of social media. The government gave them lists. Alex Berenson is a problem. Fix the problem. And they fixed the problem. Uh, You know, uh, Jen Psaki was asked about Joe Rogan. And she's like, you know, they took off a bunch of his episodes. Oh, that's not enough. Yes, not Um, enough. Yeah. So this is bad. That needs to be rolled back. And it needs And the the purpose of the hearing for me is I want to hear about how active and what what form did those things take? Were there any threats associated with it? And did that then lead uh, directly or indirectly towards, you know, epidemiologists getting kicked off of Twitter for saying normal things that the CDC at that time were against, Mm -hmm. but then later on said, oh, yeah, that's totally right. I I think, yeah. okay. so I think you're right about that. And I will walk that back a little bit because of that point. But the question that I would ask then is. Is that not the government and people within Congress hauling people before from the CDC before them rather than people from Twitter? That's an excellent point. And uh, I think they love to bash big business. In, yeah, I think to, that's part of it, too. That's the thing that bums me out, because I think that the thing about we can we can um, grandstand about Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop is a pretty cut and dry thing that, you know, um, I, I remember that that debate that um, our recent previous guest Douglas Murray did with Matt Taibbi and um, Malk, Malk, Malky Gladwell <laughs> and uh, uh, what's her name um, from the New York times. But um, regardless, there was a moment in that. And what was I just about to say? But it was, it was about, it was about the, uh, about the, uh, um, Oh, when they said, well, we can't, we can't confirm this. We can't confirm this. And there was a very good point, a very simple point made by Douglas. He said, there's about a thousand emails that you have access to. Just call any of the people that got the emails and said, "Is this you get this email. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have some confirmation yeah. also on top of the fact that nobody from the Biden camp would say no. They, would, they, just, they just acknowledged this recently. So, I mean, that's a pretty open and shut, easy one. So there's the grandstanding that you're going to get for that, right? And it's going to be like, oh, there's a corporate... Um, conspiracy against us. There was, because now Elon Musk runs the company. Um, but more than anything, I think that the end product of this is that wagging of the finger, that mafia thing that we're going to regulate you. Yeah. And um, if you had asked me 10 years ago, would this new, when it was called a micro-blogging website, which is hilarious, um, would they be under the thumb of the federal government in 10 years? I would, would thought you were totally insane. Even though there was some directional stuff when it came to, you know, stuff like fairness doctrine and things like that, that there's always that instinct. But, but you know, we'll see how that 
I haven't seen any of the stuff from today. I've seen little bits here and there. Yeah, we'll, we'll follow. So. You call it a microblogging platform on the same day that uh, I've seen reports about Twitter flirting with the 4,000 character limit for Twitter blues. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. 4,000 character limit? 4,000 character limit. Jamie's very long piece was 9,000 <laughs> words. So 4,000 characters, how many words is that on average when you average that out? Oh, it's a, it's oh, a, lot. a lot. It's a lot more. A lot. I don't know that, that I don't know that I like that idea at all. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose we can, we could probably yeah, start probably to, to wrap this up. Wrap up. Um, we've got some other things going on and, uh, yeah, no, it's been good. I'm glad Jamie stopped by. I'm glad we could talk about some things yeah. and we will talk about more things soon. Sunday is the Super Bowl. And ordinarily we would do second Sundays this coming week. This live thing. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are we thinking here? I think we can I still, know. I think we can still do it just early. Super Bowl starts at like six Eastern. There's a lot of pregame mumbo. Yeah, I get the family over though, and all the friends come over. You don't I don't know. Family? Your family? Not <laughs> me. Other people do. Oh, me. Listen, right. I thought you were going to say they don't have friends. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? We're friends. <laughs> yeah, we're friends. That's why they want to hang out with us. But I think we may we may push this week and do it another. Chime in in the comments. Yeah. Matt's very opposed to this. It's I don't like know. Sunday, branding matters, man. I, I regularity. Yeah. Well, we just started. Yeah. If it was like if it was like three years into this, I get it. But this is like our third one, so we can probably punt. The Sunday like, afterwards, I'm going to be in California. It's a big mess. Oh, it's about you, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> it's all about you. I see. Well, you can look out. Well, you can look out for an announcement on um, <laughs> yeah. the fifth Substack, um, and yeah. you can also subscribe there. That's where you can actually. Yeah, you don't get access to this if you don't and subscribe. And that's exactly right. You will not be able to attend if you don't subscribe. And, and by attending, I mean, sometimes you get to talk to us. Sometimes you can actually be on camera. Sometimes we choose a different platform and make that impossible because, I mean, seriously. Mix it up. We have to listen to you right now. Oh my God. Seriously. Um, but yeah. Uh, thank so you the for, cryptocurrency. <laughs> thank you for joining us this week. There'll be more soon. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Column.